Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. First and go at the three. Lining up in the clock at 10 seconds and ticking. In the shotgun, Mahomes. Four-man front, receiver in motion, low snap. He runs and he throws, caught, touchdown! It's caught! Hardman caught the ball! The Chiefs have won! The Chiefs have won! The entire bench empties! Chasing Mahomes in the end zone! Their third Super Bowl in five years! The Chiefs are back-to-back Super Bowl champions! Well, neither rain, nor heat, nor gloom of night will stay us from talking about that game and what it means for the Eagles and all other sorts of stuff this morning. Good morning, everyone. I am Mike Sealski, joined by my partner, Glenn Mack. Now, Glenn, how are you? Good morning, Mike. I'm doing just great. I assume you include uh, snow will not keep us from that either. I think I said snow. Did I say snow? Did I, I say you sleet? said rain or gloom or... Well, Even. snow, yeah, snow did not keep me from the uh, studio yeah. this morning. I you was were up shoveling early. at seven in the morning. Darn pal. right, I got to get here, man. You, you know, like Woody Allen said, ninety percent of success in life is just showing up, I and I needed to show up. Was Isn't it Yogi? Yogi? I think it was Woody. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> okay. we have a uh, terrific show for all of you listeners out there today. Coming up, we're going to talk some flyers in the eleven o'clock hour with Kevin Kurz, the terrific Flyers beat reporter for the Athletic. We're going to double up on The Athletic because at noon we're going to talk to Matt Gelb, who is down in Clearwater with the Phillies to talk about how spring training is going so far and his perspective on the 2024 season. But, Glenn, I want to begin by kind of turning the tables on you. Uh, The last couple of weeks we have started the show uh, kind of in a reminiscent kind of way. You've asked me five questions for Mike, similar to what you used to do with your old partner, Ray Dittinger, where you would ask Ray five questions to start the show. Well, I want to reverse that this morning and ask Glenn Mack now five questions. So let's start with five questions for Glenn. And the first one kind of piggybacks off of that sound we heard of Kevin Harlan calling the final play of Super Bowl 58, the touchdown pass by Patrick Mahomes to win the game for the Chiefs 25-22. Glenn Mack now, question one. What's the big takeaway for the Eagles moving forward out of Super Bowl 58? Uh, It's pretty easy. Defense matters, uh, and not just uh, or not dropping your best pass rusher into coverage and playing your corner soft uh, to prevent the big play. Both of these teams had elite linebacker cores. Both had guys who can tackle, two things the Eagles were really short on. I saw a stat that – Steve Spagnuolo's 
defense stuffed McCaffrey for the whole game, held him to three point. Well, that's an easy stat: three point six yards per carry on twenty two carries. And when you take out his ability to kill you with the run, and you put it on Purdy to beat you, and I know you like Brock Purdy a lot, so does Jordan McDonald. My other partner like Purdy a lot. I like Purdy fine, but he's not ready to win the game by himself. And so they took the running game out, which is something the Eagles didn't do. You know, a low-scoring game, considering the power of those offenses, Mm -hmm. and the big reason is the elite linebacker play on those two teams. Fred Warner, he had 13 tackles in the Super Bowl. Um, The Chiefs linebacker Nick Bolton led with tackles. Drake Greenlaw was great until he tore his Achilles running. Yeah, that was terrible. Oh, man, that was was something to see. Um, So I would say linebackers – I'd start by saying linebackers uh, and defense and uh, maybe an occasional blitz. I'll go a little bigger picture on this. From this standpoint, I think the game and the fact that the Chiefs have now won three Super Bowls in five years and made it to four shows again how one player can change the direction of an entire league and how if you get that player on your team, you can have the rest of the sport chasing after you. That's what the Chiefs have with Patrick Mahomes, that what the Chicago Bulls had with Michael Jordan. It's what the Patriots had with Tom Brady for 20 years. It's what the Spurs had with Tim Duncan. And that, to me, is interesting because at some level, you either got to catch lightning in a bottle, like the Eagles did in 2018 when Nick Foles got hot for a few games and they managed to win the Super Bowl and beat Brady in doing so, or you've got to build a team up and down that can compete with that guy. And the 49ers almost had it. They just didn't have quite enough. And, you know, I think that's got to shape the way the Eagles look at things. Can you, can, to your point, can you afford to slough off in a linebacker at the linebacker position? Or do you have to try to build a, kind of a super team inside and out to try to beat Mahomes? Yeah, well, I mean, the point is yours is would not seem achievable for the Eagles. I, I think Jalen Hurts could be a top – 10, top five, I don't, you know, a top quarterback in the league, but he isn't going to be the game changer of the guys you mentioned. He's, he will not be Patrick Mahomes or David Robinson or Michael Jordan or something. He can be an elite quarterback. And so you're going to need a lot more than that. And I think it comes from the defense. I think it comes from the safeties, which is a position that they have ignored. And I think it comes from linebackers. You know what's going to be the big pressure this offseason? And, oh, man, I see it building, and I see WIP being a big part of it. What is that? Well, the Eagles draft, I don't know, 21st. I, don't, I didn't look mm-hmm. it up. But right somewhere right around yeah, there. Yeah, somewhere in the early 20s, I think. There is going to be hue and cry for it to be with the 22nd pick of the draft. The Eagles draft Jeremiah Trotter. Oh, Jr. boy. The pride of St. Joe's gonna Prep. That's going to be coming. <laughs> and Maybe by the right. way, Mike. Yeah, we'll certainly get a lot of content out of it on I'll, I'll sing the song. <laughs> I'm perfectly happy. Hey. I'm hosting. I'm quarterbacking our draft coverage. Mm-hmm. I will be screaming for Trotter. Don't uh, worry about it. Oh, you Axe know what? Let, let's get the dad as a guest in the next couple of weeks. All right. Sounds great. Sounds, like, sounds like a plan. <laughs> we'll start he, it. <laughs> he will definitely pound the table for his son. Oh, no he, as he should. <laughs> All right, Glenn. So moving on, question two is tied a little bit to question one. We, you kind of hinted at it in your response to my question. So Hassan Reddick wants a new contract. Uh, the Eagles have said he is free to seek a trade. Uh, I want redemption for losing the stupid football bet this season, backing Reddick and <laughs> against all the <laughs> Georgia players. Uh, and now I have to pay for dinner for you and the producers at Ralph's. Glenn Mack now. Should the Eagles bring Hassan Reddick back? Absolutely. 
Yeah, and, and I would tell you that if I felt more comfortable where they are at that position, I'd say, okay, he's 29 years old. He may, his, his next three years probably won't be as good as his last three years, although he could still be a top guy in the league, and so therefore you can let him go. Except that Josh Sweat really underperformed this year. I, I'm not going to invest that much in his future. Well, he has, I think, one more year in his deal. Yeah, and I'm not so. ready to extend that. Uh, Nolan Smith didn't show anything as a rookie. I'm not going to panic on that because we've had that before. Brandon Graham didn't show a lot as a young player. He became a good player. But I don't think I have anything I can count on as a pass rusher. I don't really feel the need to go out and try to find a new one because you never know how somebody's going to fit here. He fits really well. Let's come up with the number. Let's find the agreement. Let's make that thing work. And I think they can do it um, – Fairly easily. You just give him a lot of upfront money, extend his contract a year or two, boom, done. Well, here's the one caveat to that. Uh And in general, I agree with you. You're going to have to pay guys down the road, and I think it's going to require some fancy bookkeeping, I think, from Howie Roseman, which in fairness he specializes in. But you've got, you know, Devontae Smith coming down the pike. You want to be able to pay him as well, and that's what the Eagles do. They draft a guy, he performs well, they want to keep him. Uh, I think it's, some of it is, is going to depend on how much it would take to keep Reddick here. I think in the, in the main, you're right. He probably wants to stay. He wants to get paid, but I think he wants to stay, and I think obviously that works in the Eagles' favor. I think it probably gets done, but they're going to have to be careful, meaning the Eagles, in terms of the cap hits they take and it doesn't hamper them down the road. I put a, a 60% chance he's still here. Okay. I'll, I'll go like 75. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to happen. I like your number better than mine. Yeah, I think it's going to happen. I just, uh, like I said, that 25% of, you know, are they willing to pay for it down the road is something that I think people need to pay attention to. Okay, question three. Glenn, the the other night, I guess it was Thursday night in Indiana, Gina Mizell, who covers the Sixers for us at the Philadelphia Inquirer, talked to Shaquille O'Neal and asked Shaq about the Sixers and Joel Embiid and their prospects for the rest of the season. And Shaq told Gina, quote, they're done, meaning the Sixers. And that's the unfortunate thing about life and the unfortunate thing about this league. One little thing can go off, and it's so unfortunate. Because if Joel doesn't get it done, then you've got to start all over. Glenn Macnow, what would it take for you to believe in the Sixers again? Well, it would take um, Joel Embiid rising like Lazarus. <laughs> I mean, that's really what it'd take. It, listen, if does he say they're done for now or forever? I think he kind of hits at forever. He I said too. the last line of that quote was, "The older you get, the yeah. window closes." Here's the and I mean, it's an easy question that you, well, it's an easy question to frame in this regard, or, or an easy answer to frame. It comes down to Embiid. Right, how many weeks till he gets reevaluated? Three or four, something yeah, like that. that until, yes. Okay, then how long is it going to take for him to get back in shape? Another month. So now it's mid-April. Guess what? The play-in schedule starts April sixteenth. They could very well fall down to a play-in team, unless he can rise like Lazarus. Uh, unless you got Maxi playing out of his mind and 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 Buddy Heald acclimated and Obrey. Listen, Mike, who's kidding? Yeah. It's the slimmest shred of hope on the thinnest thread of possibility. Here's what I think, and I'll address, I guess, the long term. I hate saying this, but this is really what I believe now. 
and it's a heartbreak. I think we are at the point where it is more than likely Joel Embiid ends up a tragic figure like Eric Lindros did. Um, a what-if giant who played brilliantly, who dominated when he could. Both of them won an MVP. Neither of them could stay in the game for various injury reasons. And and alas, alas, that's how I think it ends up. I not not with Embiid on the Rangers or the Knicks, as right. it were. Not with the acrimony and Joel Embiid, you know, going to war with the with the franchise. But in a dream defeated by brittle bones and quirky injuries. Um, I was writing for the Inquirer and when when the whole Lindris thing started. I remember writing a story when they signed it was uh, along with Al. I was covering that stuff mm-hmm. and I wrote a story about. You know, now they you can expect they're going to win multiple Stanley Cups. And, you know, I did the whole lineage from Rocket Richard to mm-hmm. Gordy Howe to, to Gretzky to, you know, Mario Lemieux or Bobby Orr, Gretzky, that whole thing. And this guy's the next in the line of that. And it never happened with him. And there was such hope for so many years with Embiid. And I have to tell you, I've, I've lost that hope. Yeah, I think that's that. Re- potential reality is part of the reason that Daryl Morey made the moves he did at this deadline. They, they pulled money off their books. They got themselves a shooter in, in healed, which is good, which you're going to need theoretically if and when Embiid comes back. But mostly this trade deadline was about next season and the hope that they can sell Embiid on, hey, you come back healthy, Tyrese Maxey will be better, Buddy Heal will be here, we'll have money to spend, we'll go out and get somebody, and we'll make a run then. And I think the idea of Embiid as a tragic figure is on the money, Glenn. They can't trade him. He's too good when he plays oh, yeah. for them to trade him. So you just have to ride this out and hope against hope that he stays healthy long enough to make some kind of a run. They're really stuck. Uh, and it's a shame because he's a wonderful player. When he's healthy, he is connected with the city. But, you know, I'm afraid Shaq's right. The, the odds are this is going to end and everybody's going to ask, oh, what might have been? Yeah, and, which is Lindros. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you don't want to say it, right? You just don't want to say it out loud because you don't want to believe it and you don't want to dampen people's hopes. But I remember um, I did an over-under on him. Uh, I think it was like, you know, when his second year, when he didn't play. Drafted him, he didn't play, and the next year he didn't play and so on. And I said over-under on games in his career would be 600. And I'm looking right now, and he is at 428. Ooh. And I think it's still a really good number. Yeah. I mean, is is he going to play 172 more games in his career? Boy. That's three seasons worth. Uh, that that would be At a, least more, yeah, maybe. That would be a serious basketball bet as opposed to a stupid football bet. I it mean, would that, be a serious basketball bet. And I hate it, and I would love to see him go over and, you know, not just win the MVP, but get to the NBA Finals, be carrying that championship trophy down broad street in june as the whole town went wild and that was the same hope we had with lindros and i just i feel lindros equals Embiid equals lindros well you mentioned eric well, that lindros. was depressing but yeah let, let's <laughs> try sorry. to bring this I'm really bring sorry, back some joy to this show all i of a know sudden. i'm we're, so sorry we're but 15 man, minutes just, in and everybody's like oh my god uh, it's just really <laughs> uh, it's you know it's it's a parallel career it, it really is. It, 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 unfortunately, for good and for bad, it's, they do look like parallels. And you mentioned Lindros, which means mentioning the Philadelphia Flyers, which brings us to question number four. Glenn, the Flyers right now are a playoff team. They play tonight in one of those outdoor games that the NHL loves so much. They're going to play at MetLife Stadium against the Devils. Uh, they pulled a point out the other night in Toronto against the Maple Leafs. Mm-hmm. 
They are playing better than anyone, including themselves, I suspect, anticipated they would play this season. So what should they do with the trade deadline in two and a half weeks? Uh, well, I tell you what. I'm going to um, bring in another voice on this, and this is uh, one of my all-time favorite actors. This is the great Paul Newman, starring as Lucas Jackson, not, not, not the basketball player, but no. the <laughs> chain gang prisoner in one of my favorite movies. And here's what he had to say about that. Sometimes nothing can be a real cool hand. Sometimes nothing can be a real cool hand, said Cool Hand Luke. Mm -hmm. And I think that while Jonesy and Briere should be talking to everybody and see what happens in both the realm of buy and sell, um, listen, they've been very forthright about the plan, right? Yep. No, no, no six or five-year tank, but not stray from the long-term goal of success by making any dumb short-term trades. And um, I would – I would certainly trade like the Sean Walker, Nick Sealer guys, maybe. Right. But short of that, I'm 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 holding. Yeah, I, I, and I think they're going to do that too. And I suspect that's probably the right thing to do because the way they've performed this season has, to a certain degree, changed the dynamic here. Right? Like, if they had been bad, then you're talking about okay, what assets do we as a franchise have? Is Travis Konechny a piece that can be moved? You can't move Travis Konechny now. You wouldn't want to. Mm -mm. He's 26 years old. He's playing great. I know people within the organization view him as a centerpiece player akin to a Patrice Bergeron or Brad Marchand from the Boston Bruins, uh, that they are reluctant to give him up. And, you know, while you're not going to make a move necessarily that helps you in the here and now, I don't think they're – going to necessarily blow it up certainly not you can't do that you're on track Ooh. to make the playoffs yeah uh so in some ways the flyer success has complicated things for themselves um but it's what's what's the term it's a happy problem i guess yeah it's a fun season they yeah. really are fun yeah um, I, I wonder if they can keep this up i mean they just play so we hard. said that 20 games ago i know they play so hard every night and i keep going back i forget who it was who drew this analogy but the Vegas Golden Knights of a few years ago, the first year they were in the NHL, made it to the Stanley Cup yeah. Finals, and they did it by playing exactly the same kind of style that this Flyers team is playing. They just came after their opponents every night, even without top-end talent. I'm skeptical that this Flyers team, of course, can keep up that that intensity and level of play night after night and into the playoffs, but so far, just as an enjoyable experience in watching hockey again in Philadelphia, it has been that. A little applause for the coach. Yeah, absolutely. Right? I mean, he gets the credit for that. He absolutely does. He's we don't talk about him enough. He's yeah, he's, he's the reason they play that way. That's, right. That's he's known more right. as a character around here than a great coach. Mm -hmm. But he's really a good coach. By the way, uh, Dan Wilson, can I just hear Paul Newman one more time? I got a point to make. Sometimes nothing can be a real cool hand. All right. So I, after I play that, I realize probably like 2% of our audience ever saw the movie Cool Hand Luke. <laughs> it is a great movie. Right, because I, I'm going to go know. eat some hard-boiled eggs right now. Fifty of them? Uh, not fifty, maybe okay. two. So, <laughs> I, that movie came out maybe 1967. I'm guessing, but I'm sure I'm within a year or two. And there are a lot of people. We have. I'm going to rip Elliot Shore parts here, and I, I don't mean to rip people. <laughs> okay. Not I, I, it's not fair. He's not here, and I don't mean to do that. But Elliot put out a tweet a week or two ago that said. Why would anybody watch a movie that's more than 20 years old because the effects were so much greater now than they were? Like, I don't understand why anybody would watch an old movie. And it's like, oh, for God's sakes, Elliot. <laughs> so anyway, the movie was made in 1968. It is phenomenal. 
if you want to watch a movie that you've never seen and understand why they actually made good movies before the 21st century, go see Cool Hand Luke. Yeah, right. you know I'm, that. I'm done preaching. Okay, that yeah, the idea that um, I'm sorry, Ellie. the effects have that much to do with whether a movie is good or not. Yeah, um, is a if I'm it's skeptical a Marvel of that. movie. I get you. Yeah. Um, all right. Question five. We got to hit a break. Glenn Mack. Now the Phillies are within their first week of spring training right now. It looks like their starting center fielder, at least two out of every three games, is going to be. Johan Rojas, who hit 302 and 164 at bats during the regular season, and then transformed into what basically would have been the worst hitting pitcher in baseball yeah. in the postseason. He went four for 43 with 15 strikeouts. Glenn, can the Phillies get to where they want to go? Can they win a World Series with Johan Rojas as their everyday center fielder? Well, I mean, they got Whit Merrifield yesterday. We'll talk more about that as, as we go on. And so he's the great insurance policy there, I guess. I'm, I, I, I imagine everybody would have rather have seen him sign Cody Bellinger, but um, Merrifield's a good veteran. Yes, I think they can, and he doesn't need to hit 302. He needs to hit 240, steal some bases, and play the gold glove level defense he played last year. There's enough people in this lineup to uh, carry his bat because he's good enough in other ways, and they have enough talent in other ways that they certainly can win the World Series with Johan Rojas. Agreed? Uh, oh, no. If he's no. hitting 240 in, in, a, in an era of baseball where every spot in the lineup now is a position player or a designated hitter where pitchers don't hit anymore, man, if he hits 240, that's a, that's a relative dead spot in your lineup. And, yeah, his defense is great, and you're going to need his defense to be great because shifting – is gone and center fielders need to cover ground and he's wonderful out there, but he better hit better than 240. Well, let me say this: the difference between 250. I'm 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 going to be quoting Bull Durham, Bull Durham here, another here. another movie that was made before <laughs> the 20th century, 21st century. Uh, the difference between hitting 250 and 300 is 25 hits a season. Mm-hmm. A Texas leaguer, a gorp, <laughs> a, a flying duck, whatever he says, yes. right? A ground ball with eyes. There you go, right? So you're talking one hit a week is the difference. I will take his defense and give up one hit a week. Okay. Thank you, Kevin Costner. Okay. Thank you, Kevin Costner. Thank you, Whit Merrifield, for filling in the gap that Phillies fans hope when uh, Johan Rojas is striking out a lot. Okay. As I said, we've got a lot on our table. Kevin Kurz from The Athletic coming up to talk Flyers at 11. Matt Gell from The Athletic coming up at noon to talk Phillies. We've got a terrific What We're Watching, a documentary very nostalgic for me. I'm sure the same way for you, Glenn, uh, that we watched on Netflix that we both really enjoyed. Uh, and we are, of course, taking your calls at 215-592-9494. Coming up next segment, we're going to talk about the future of maybe the most beloved athlete in Philadelphia of all time. And we will take your calls if you want to weigh in. He's Glenn Macnow. I'm Mike Sealski. This is 94WIP. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. 
Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. 94 WIP. Mike Sealski and Glenn Mack now here until 1 o'clock. Glenn, we got a couple calls. Let's uh, hear from Greg somewhere in Florida who wants to talk about the Flyers. Greg, where in Florida are you? Well, I called you the last time from Florida in Aventura, uh, back when Jonesy was hired yes. as president, if you remember. I do. I do. Okay, so, and, and Glenn knows me from back when I went to a charity Flyers game. Well, I won oh, yeah. the charity and we got oh, to yeah. go. Yep, yep. So I'm up from, uh, in Long Beach Island right now, now in my snow-covered cottage. Gotcha. And uh, <laughs> looking up at all my Flyers memorabilia and stuff. And thinking what? And I'm thinking, you know, my tears of joy were justified. Ah. And and I feel that although there are certain guys that I feel should be traded at some point, that everybody doesn't get to be a flyer for life, Scott Lawton. But I think they owe it to this core group. I think they owe it to this team, and I think they owe it to the fans to continue – I don't care. They're not going to win the Stanley Cup. They're going to make the playoffs. They mm-hmm. need to keep playing like they're going to get to the playoffs because once you know, you get into the playoffs, anything can happen. It's matchups. The team gets hurt. A team, you know. Yeah. What, what if all of a sudden this team made it to the conference finals? People would be losing their minds. Pe- people would be losing their minds. I-, I-, I agree. Thanks, Greg, for the call. Glenn, look, I think yeah. that's a little pie in the sky, but – yeah, you but if I they talk- win a round, I think that that would be terrific for the franchise. Yeah. Win one, and they could win one round. Um, he said something that's interesting, and when we talked to Kevin Kurz, I saw he wrote something to this regard earlier in the week, which is, you know, the players have worked really hard together. They like each other. They deserved it. Um, Kevin wrote a story, and we'll ask him more about it when he comes on, which was when they made a trade um, 2009, I think. I don't remember the exact season, but Jonesy was doing TV – Kevin Kurz was working for the Flyers back mm-hmm. at the time, and the team went into a funk. And it, it wasn't that the trade was that dramatic. And Jonesy said to Kevin, they're sulking. They're hurt. They thought they had, uh, you know, a, a bond. They thought they mm-hmm. had a chemistry, and that was disrupted. I would be careful about disrupting the chemistry. Yeah, it's something that you have to take into consideration. I think it's something that in hockey – is a stronger force maybe than in other sports. You know, we start to we we tend to think of trades and improving teams simply in terms of talent or position. Hey, they need a defensive end who can rush the passer. Hey, they need a center fielder who can hit a little bit. And therefore, we sometimes don't consider. Hey, what about a team's makeup? Maybe this team has bonded. And I think again, that's a stronger force in the NHL than it probably is in the other sports leagues for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, but I think it is something that they have to take into consideration. Hockey is the sport where they talk the most about the room. The room, yes. The room. And who's wearing the C and the letter <laughs> and all of that. Nick in Collegeville has some thoughts about Johan Rojas. You think he's going to hit the well, for, four, I, 350 I wanna, this year, Nick? 
Yeah, I don't want I don't want to be completely negative. So let me just start with this real quick. Glenn, I agree with you 100 percent when it comes to the, uh, the NFL and the World Series, the Super Bowl. I mean, it, defense counts, and actually running the game and running a traditional offense in the postseason is important. So I agree with that 100. percent That sounds like there's a however coming up. No, no, no. However, oh. Mike, here's my downside to to baseball. Yes. Everybody remembers 2010 Cody Ross, okay, a guy mm-hmm. who batted 250 his entire career, but basically won that NLCS yes. for San Fran. Yeah, he turned into Babe Ruth against Roy Halladay that yeah. series. But that's that's they're they're anomalies, just like Nick Foles was an anomaly, and we're grateful for Saint Nick. But you, if you don't care about your billion dollar bats in the top five spots, and you want Cookie Rojas, no pun intended, to the producer there. <laughs> I, you know, if you rather have Cookie Rojas than you know center fielder Rojas, it, it, he's not going to win a World Series for you. Now, I think I said this last week or two weeks ago to you guys. If it's a bottom, if it's a bottom of the ninth in Game Seven and it's tied or you're down one run and the bases are loaded and Cookie comes up, <laughs> one out of five chances. And and if if the slot machine hits that one, then he right. wins the World Series. But he could bat one hundred. He's not the critical key. Yeah, Pitching, bats I, in the front of the lineup, things I, like that. I get what you're saying, Nick, and thanks for the call. I'm just My only point is he better be playing some great defense and or be at least a respectable hitter because in today's day and age, I think it's harder to get away with having a spot in the lineup, Glenn, where you really have a subpar offensive player. Is it? I think it is. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'll take you on face value on that. I... I... I don't know. Look, they they died down the stretch last year because they stopped hitting uh, in those last couple of games mm-hmm. and just fished, right? And sure. Just, and and all credit to the Diamondbacks who realized these guys will swing at pitches way out of the strike zone. So Brandon, God, I made fun of the guy until he killed him. Brandon, fat. Yeah, fat. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> it, yeah. it sounds like uh, Christopher Walken. He was silent Christ, but deadly. That guy. Yeah, exactly. And, and just you know, killed hey, him. It was, it was it was Fod who was striking yeah. them out. Oh, you could be in that commercial. Now. I could. Yes. <laughs> anyway, they, it it wasn't it wasn't about him. It was about all the other guys who just were swinging at bad pitches. Yeah, it was. And and that's look, you, you're going to have to accept that with this team because that's how they're built. They're when they're good, they're really good, and they're hitting the ball. You know, 450 feet, three or four to five times a game. And when they're bad, they look terrible and they're swinging and missing and striking out. Okay, let's get to what we were going to talk about in this segment, Glenn, which is, as I said, the probably the most popular athlete, certainly in the city now, maybe of all time, in Jason Kelsey. The watch goes on for what kind of decision he's going to make. Is he going to come back and play with the Eagles? Is he going to retire? And a friend of ours, friend of yours, friend of mine, guy who... Loves the Eagles as much as anyone does. Merrill Reese weighed in on this topic on uh, the afternoon show, I think, earlier this week and had this to say about Jason Kelsey. I honestly hope that he retires. I honestly hope that he retires because I think there's only so much pounding you can take without causing later problems. He's been pounded a lot. You know what he goes through just to get ready for every single game. And you know how many times he leaves a game and you think, well, he's out of this game, and then after halftime, he leads the team back onto the field. He has taken a beating over these past 13 years, and I think for his own health and well-being in the future, I think it's time for him to retire. 
And I say that with, with all of my heart because I care so much about Jason Kelsey, the person. Glenn Macnow. That's not an insignificant voice. No. Uh, to Eagles, to the Eagles and their fans saying, Jason Kelsey, it's time. What do you think? I think there's a lot of wisdom there. And um, respect the hell out of Merrill. And, and I think I feel as Merrill does now. It's Jason's decision and only his decision, well, his wife, family, whatever. But, you know, it's their decision Mm -hmm. as to what he decides to do. And I know that we did a a whole promotion this week, you know, Jason, please stay. And it was good. It was good radio. And it was, you know, I I get it. It was good stuff. But how do I honestly feel? I love Jason Kelsey and can't think of anybody who gave more for this franchise over, would they say, 13 years. Yes. Um, And he's a Hall of Famer and he's a great guy and he's a truly beloved and he made center a popular position in this town and people you know put on mummers outfits who can't don't even like the mummers um and will always be one of the top five most beloved athletes in the city it's the perfect time to get out well the, it's not the perfect time because the brent Selleck picked the perfect time yes he win did. the super bowl and, <laughs> that's right and do snow angels do the, and confetti in the super bowl right do the say, john elway thing you yeah know, i mean that's john the elway. perfect time uh, but short of that, Jason Kelsey can retire on top of his game. Know he's going to the Hall of Fame. He's got so many other things going on uh, with the podcast with his brother, with the opportunity to do network TV. He's still walking. His mind is still clear. I, if, if, if I were advising him, uh, and it's not my choice to do it, I think, Jason, let us hold the Jason Kelsey Day in honor of your brilliance and great career and how much the city loves you, and go and enjoy the rest of your life. Yeah, you know, at some level, Glenn, I think it's selfish to ask him to come back and play and say, Jason, please come back. It's not anyone else's call but him and his family. And my perspective, having been in Las Vegas to see him do a couple podcasts and just watching him from afar over the last couple of weeks since the Eagles' season ended, and I have no inside information on this, this is just my viewpoint, is he seems to be wringing every last drop of enjoyment that he can get out of being an NFL player before he walks away. Drinking beer out of bowling balls. Yeah, and hanging out with his brother and watching his brother win the Super Bowl again. Because he can't do any of these things once he retires. It becomes weird if he's hanging on like that. That's that's true. Now it's fun and funny after that. Yeah, it's kind of odd. You're right. Uh, John and Maniunk, let's get you in just before the break. You had thoughts on Kelsey as well? Yeah, I got a quick quote uh, from Cool Hand Luke. We've got here is a failure to communicate. Love that. It's a great movie, right? People should watch that movie. Yeah, anyone who's growing up should watch the car wash scene, whatever. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh man. Yeah, that's good, too. What are your yeah, thoughts on Jason, John? On Jason, I got quick Phillies. But, but the one thing, when, I think Jason Kelsey will retire and – Everyone talks about moving Jurgens there, but Dickerson played uh, center at uh, Alabama. What do you think about moving him there? Because was Jurgens really that good at right guard this year? Well, I mean, then you're moving, then you're changing two positions along the offensive line. In Dickerson, you've got a Pro Bowl level guard. Do you want to move him out of position and then, you know, keep Jurgens at guard, where that's a that's a relatively new position for him as well? Um, I'm not sure I'd want to do that. Jurgens has kind of been the presumptive heir. At the, at the center spot for Kelsey all along, I might just stick be inclined to stick with him. Yeah, on the Phillies, uh, Whit Merrifield. I was just looking him up. He's got some pretty good stats. I think he's going to be more than just like a pinch hitter. I think uh, 
he's like kind of like an insurance plan in case a Rojas doesn't work out. Yeah. Or uh, yeah, I, I think the numbers he put up last year, and John, thanks so much. Um, you know, he he tailed off in the second half of last season, Glenn, because he's thirty four, thirty five years old. But you're not asking him to play one hundred and fifty, one hundred and sixty games. You're asking him to fill in when he needs to and get four hundred at bats, and maybe that's enough to keep him fresh and productive. Plays four positions, steals bases, good defensive player, hits for average. Uh, yes, you hope it's not because we've seen it in the past where with all of our teams where you trade for a guy and all of a sudden he's he's old. He's got to be better than Jake Cave, and I think he's a whole lot better than Jake Cave. Yeah, that's a that's a low bar to clear, <laughs> relatively speaking. Okay, coming up, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Phils. Who do we think is going to be their breakout players for this coming season? Again, Kevin Kurz at 11 o'clock to talk Flyers. Uh, cool documentary to talk about what we're watching. Matt Gelb at noon. And your calls at 215-592-9494 with Glenn Macnow. I am Mike Sealski on WIP. Hey, if this cold winter we've endured hasn't yet convinced you to replace your drafty, inefficient windows and doors, well, maybe the great people at Guided Door and Window can help. They're going to give you one more month to do so at the best prices of the year. Now, you may not have taken advantage of Guided's big winter sale yet. Listen, it's your last chance to do it. You receive 40% off every window and door you buy. Yep, 40% off each expertly installed energy-efficient replacement window. That includes free, high-performance, low-E glass, the good stuff, and 40% off any high-quality door, including insulated entry doors, sliding patio doors, garage doors, and like me, a guide to storm door. If you uh, And you can buy now and pay later with Guida's interest-free financing or low monthly payment plans. Offer expires at the end of February. Don't let this final chance for big savings pass you by. If your home needs new windows or doors, call the experts at Guida today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. When he's throwing strikes, he can be very effective. Swing and a miss. He threw him a slider. Diaz a swing and a miss. Second strikeout for Sanchez. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. Phillies attendance on average fifth in Major League Baseball. There's a call. Strike three. Those were the sounds of Christopher Sanchez striking out every hitter he faced during his rookie season with the Phillies. Right, Glenn? <laughs> yeah, Tom McCarthy had to talk fast. He He did. Um, MLB.com put that cut together, and it, it leads us into what I think is an interesting discussion, Glenn, about the Phillies in this upcoming season. Because as we as we've talked about before in the show, this was not a splashy off season for them. Yes, they re-signed Aaron Nola and spent a lot of money to bring him back, but really they had made all their big moves in the years previously, signing Trey Turner and. You know, Bryce Harper being here and Kyle Schwarber and Castellanos and Real Muto, all those guys, you know, the foundational pieces were already here this offseason. So looking at the roster and saying, okay, where are they going to get better? What are the steps forward they need to take? You're looking at guys who are already here, and you had pinpointed this one young pitcher as the guy really that you think can take the leap. Yeah, I think Christopher Sanchez has a real opportunity to be something special. I, I – um. It's funny, I haven't really had the opportunity yet to talk to the guys we know who, who cover it, or I haven't asked them that. I think he's really solid. I thought he improved a ton last year. He learned to change up. I'm going to get stats nerdy for a second. Okay. okay? Um, on his changeup last year, hitters hit 148, 22% whiff rate. Swing, and, swing and strikes on 22% of those pitches. 
He gets people to chase, uh, as you just heard. Uh, now, he's got a way to go. They bash his sinker, a lot of home runs off him. But I really think the foundation is there. I think uh, the pitching coach, I'm assuming the pitching coach, Caleb Collum, really helped him because I really think he got better. I'm going to predict 150 to 170 good innings this year. By the way, 150 to 170 innings is a lot in baseball these days. It is. It is. Uh, and with Wheeler and Nola and Ranger Suarez, I think it's going to be a real solid starting four. I think the Phillies are going to need his innings, and I think that he's going to be the player with the most improvement this year. I'll give you another interesting stat, Glenn Mack. Now, do you know which Phillies starter had the lowest whip, walks, and hits per innings pitched last season? Oh, it's probably him. His Christopher really Sanchez. Yeah. Lower yeah. than Zach Wheeler, lower than Aaron Nola, lower yeah. than Ranger Suarez. Uh, so, yeah, I think the potential Just got to for... stop that home run, that, that minor home run problem. Yeah, the minor. <laughs> Right, that minor problem of balls yeah. flying over the left field fence. Yeah, and the sinker. M- my guy is Bryson Stott, and I know that might sound weird because, you know, Stott really took a step forward last season, turned into a, a 280 hitter, you know, 32 doubles, a, a real kind of mainstay in the lineup. But I think there's more there. I think, you know, Alex Coffey, my colleague at the Inquirer, had a really good piece the other day from Clearwater talking about how the Phillies want Stott to get more aggressive early in the count that there are pitches to hit that he's seeing and leaving on the table because he wants to work pitchers and have long at-bats. And sometimes the best pitch you're going to see in an at-bat is early on in the count. I really think the guy has a chance to hit 300, hit better than 300, you know, become kind of a 320 kind of guy. Say it. A batting title? There you go. Yeah. He just looks that part. And I know how that sounds. I know that's kind of an old-fashioned way of looking at it, but – I love his approach at the plate. I love the fact he doesn't strike out a ton. He struck out 100 times in 585 at-bats last season. He can improve on that. To me, Stott is a guy who, when you look at the lineup, you say, is there a jump to be made in any of these players? Bryson Stott, to me, is the guy who could make that jump. That's pretty good. Who was the last Philly to win a batting title? Wow. We may need uh, Dan Wilson to look that up for us because the, the name doesn't leap to mind. Off the can't top of my be head. Richie Ashburn, can it? <laughs> it might be. It might be. There was that I one mean, year that Lenny Dykstra was hitting 400 into June, I think, and then completely fell apart. Um, I think it was 1990. I can't think there. of one to win a batting title in my lifetime here. Yeah, I, I don't think there has been one. I, I can look through the studio window to see Dan squinting at a computer screen. Yeah, to try he'll to have find it. it. So once he gets to it, we he will uh, inform all of us. Frank in Wildwood wants to talk a little bit more about the Flyers. We're getting some good Flyers discussion here, Glenn. Go ahead, Frank. What's your thoughts? Yeah, we're all flyered up. Here's the situation, guys, with the Flyers that nobody understands. This team's been rebuilding for two years now. And, unfortunately, Chuck Fletcher kind of put this team together. And, I guess, Torts, Jonesy, and Briere kind of walked into this. And they don't know what to do. And I hope they don't go and sell. I hope they buy. I mean, Jonesy did make a great signing when you guys were saying, do you think the Flyers are going to not keep pushing the pace? They signed Garnet Hathaway. That guy is going to keep making them push the pace. And I don't see that the Flyers, they could possibly make the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah, see, Frank, I, here's where I completely disagree with that thinking. That is exactly the sort of thinking that caused the Flyers t- to not win a Stanley Cup since 1975 is that slim chance that if we just keep going or add this little piece right now that 
this could be the year, and what ends up happening is that you sacrifice players who could be here a long time, draft picks that you need to really rebuild and build something that's lasting and long-term. I think that sort of thinking is not one that Jonesy and Briere and Tortorella want to engage in at all, and I agree with them on that. Glenn, I don't know what your thoughts are. Well, yeah, no, I said earlier, I think unless something falls in your lap, you hold. Yeah. I think I think that if you know you play every year to win it, you don't play every year. Oh well, maybe next year. Well, maybe next year a tip it breaks his leg. You got to go for it when you can go for it. And I yeah, think when you believe out, you have a, a real chance to win it, and, and, I, and I think they do. I I, they I do hear you. I I don't like to believe that. I, I don't, right. Frank. Thanks. Yeah, go ahead, Glenn. I'm sorry. No, I I respect and appreciate his opinion that he thinks they're good enough to contend for a Stanley Cup. I don't. Uh, I don't think anybody expected that coming in. They're better than they were, but they're not. You know, they're not an elite team in the league. No, and I think the the thing you have to keep in mind too, Glenn, not you, but kind of generally, is the NHL is a salary cap league. If you go in, it, and it's not, it's guaranteed contracts. It's not the NFL. It's not as easy to manipulate the cap and get guys to take new deals. You know, Howie Roseman is able to do that in the NFL because the rules allow for that. The NHLs don't, and so if you go all in, you are affecting yourself down the road, and that's a major consideration that the Flyers haven't taken, a cons- taken into consideration often enough in the cap era. They just You can't go for it every year with a hard salary cap the way the NHL has. Uh, really, well, really quick, uh, 1958, Richie Ashburn. Richie last- Richie Ashburn. Ashburn. Richie Ashburn, last uh, Philly to win the batting title. That's they have not won a batting title in 64. 60- Five years? That's remarkable. It's amazing. That's remarkable. And by the way, in a really good hitting ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're wow. going to win some home run titles, but they're not going to, they haven't won batting titles. Bryson That's, Stott, I love your prediction. I, I'm going to stick to it, you know, at least for now until he starts hitting 190 in April. Uh, Jack and Santa Barbara, real quick, Jack, what do you got? Mike, uh, I just shared with, with Buzz. The Long Beach Island connection. We got a guy from Florida, snowed out in Long Beach Island. And when I listened to your book, I got to the end and realized that Jeremy Treatment called you to his house on Long Beach Island. He, he did. Yeah, you're talking about the the Kobe book. Yes. And yeah, and well, Long Beach Long Beach Island was my life. Ah. And that was like way way too much kismet when Buzz. <laughs> Told me, yeah, gotcha. Jeremy Treatment was his basketball coach. Yeah, Jeremy was a was a staple at Lower Marion for a while. Dan Wilson, Buzz Wilson is a Lower Marion alum. It's amazing. So, what's your thoughts on Jalen Hurts here, Jack? Yeah, I I think like Donovan, he absolutely has to now step up and learn how to throw in the pocket because they're forcing him left, and it's like. Deion Sanders has just cut the field in half, and he's only playing half of the football field. So they know he's going to run right. They, they like a basketball game, they, they play to his weakness and cut off half the field. Well, I, yeah, I, I get it, Jack. Here's the thing, Glenn. I think Jack is half right. I think Jalen has to be better from the pocket. I think... The telltale sign, though, about what kind of quarterback he's going to be next season is the first time we see him run because he regards it as a big part of his game. He wants to be able to use that, and he wasn't nearly as mobile and as productive running the ball this season as he was in 2022. 
I just appreciate that Jack bought and read your Kobe book. I believe me, you can't right? appreciate that yeah, yeah. more than I did. <laughs> and he's finding all these connections between Dan yeah, yeah. and Jeremy right. Treatman, and he, and he who read was it a, right to the end. Yeah, uh, confidant of Kobe's way back then. They all have Lower Marion connections. Uh, Jack, thank you very much for buying and reading the book. Again, I don't care if people read it. I just want them to buy it. You know, I have mouths to feed. Works as a doorstop. It's very well. Uh, so coming up in a couple minutes, we're going to talk to Kevin Kurz and The Athletic about the Flyers. We'll get Matt Gelbin here later to talk about the Phils. we got what we're watching. And, of course, your calls at 215-592-9494. Glenn Mack now and Mike Sealski on WIP. Owen Tippett back out on the ice, side of the net, redirection, try by Fairby, save, rebound, Tippett, save, rebound, Konechny, he scores! Travis Konechny on the power play, it's tied at three, they will not go away. That was Travis Konechny tying the uh, game the other night for the Flyers against the Toronto Maple Leafs, and that's as good a segue as we could possibly come up with, come up with excuse me, to bring on our next guest he is Kevin Kurz, Flyers beat writer for TheAthletic.com. Kevin, are you already up in North Jersey preparing for tonight's outdoor game? Are you heading up later? What's the deal? Yeah, no, they. I'm here now because they practiced yesterday. They had a they had a three o'clock skate um, out on the uh, out on the ice at MetLife, and then the families and uh, some of the kids came on afterwards. So. Um, yeah, they, it, it's interesting because originally the league wanted them to practice at eight thirty yesterday evening and uh you know the flyers were against that they wanted to get this done in the afternoon and, and test out the ice and um so they're all here they're all ready to go and uh you know there's not there's no morning skate today or anything like that so they're just going to go to the rink a little bit later this afternoon and uh you know game will start at eight o'clock i know it's a bit of a spectacle for the league are the players legitimately excited about events like this I think they are. Uh, I, I think the part that they appreciate the most is is the the guys with kids um, that that can bring them on the ice, uh, and that was something John Tortorella talked about yesterday. Is he obviously recognizes, and I'm sure the players all recognize too, the importance of this game. I mean, this is it, it could very well be the Flyers or the Devils in the playoffs, um, and, and this game is going to play a big a, a big role in 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 the standings. So. Um, you know they 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 were they were left to themselves i think uh yesterday evening to to hang out with maybe the parents that are in town and and again the families and the kids that are here so i think that's the aspect that that the players enjoy the most is is that you know they do get to do this sort of thing with with so many friends and family in town kevin long time no talk uh nice, yeah, to, nice to talk to you um so you know the big discussion the trade line trade deadline is coming up march 9th i think 8th yep Eighth, excuse me, and we keep speculating. What are they going to do? They're going to buy. They're going to sell. They're going to hold. Uh, so your your best instinct right now as to what they are most likely to do and who might be most likely to be out of here. Well, the two names that are most likely to be out of here are Sean Walker and Scott Lawton, and I don't think the Flyers are in a rush to trade either of them, particularly not Lawton because he has term left on his deal. And if he's a guy that they want to move and I can see why they might want to move him now, they signed Ryan Paling, who's a depth center. They still have Noah Cates around who's a depth center, who's younger than Lawton. They can do it in the off season. They don't have to do it right now. And he's such, he's a guy that has been such an important part of this team's culture and the remaking of the culture and that is something that Tortorella and even all the guys in the room have said 
as the season has gone by, almost you know, almost daily, they talk about how tight the room is, how great the culture is, how how much they love one another. And, and I know that doesn't necessarily win hockey games, but I do think it's a big part of this team's success. So, you know, if there's a team that's out there that's going to throw you a first-round pick for a guy like Scott Lawton, Danny Breyer's going to listen. Same thing with Sean Walker. You know, he was a guy that he was basically a throw-in with this trade they had in the offseason, the Provorov trade in the offseason. They didn't. Expe- I'm sure they didn't expect him to be as good as he's been. But this team plays so fast, and 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 the reason they've had success is because, you know, they score so many goals off the rush, and they're so good in transition. And Sean Walker has been a huge part of that. So, you know, taking either one of those guys out of the lineup is going to hurt them in the short term. Uh, so I think that, I think that part of the message that they've tried to sort of portray, not 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 just, not just privately, but probably publicly, is. We don't have to trade any of these guys. So if you're a team out there that wants one of them, then you better come with your best offer. And if a team comes with a great offer that's going to knock their socks off, they're certainly going to listen. Then I think they would, they would pull the trigger on it too. Kevin, it seems like from an outsider's perspective that the Flyers have kind of complicated things for themselves by playing as well as they have this season. Mm-hmm. What yeah, kind well, of what kind of playoff team? I think that's the core question that everybody's kind of wondering about, right? Is whether they're just playing over their heads and it's enough to get in the playoffs and you bank on okay, they'll probably they may win a series but they're not really going to make a cup run or do they really have something here? I tend to think it's the former. Do you have any kind of perspective on whether they can actually if there's any chance of them kind of keeping this up during the postseason? I think the the biggest reason that they could keep it up is that I think some people forget sometimes how long the season is, right? I mean, we started back in September with training camp. The the the, the progress that some of these young guys has made over the course of the last four months, it, it should only continue. Um, and I think that's why, you know, obviously, I don't think anyone believes this team's going to make a Stanley Cup run, and uh, you know maybe the players themselves <laughs> would, would probably say otherwise. But the, the young guys make, taking steps in their development has been the biggest reason this team has hung in there. And you know you got a guy like Cam York who has played so well defensively. Tyson Forster is a rookie that has been has been great, playing a great 200 foot game, great along the walls. His offense is starting to pick up, and, and he's he's missed the last week. Um, Sam Erson's a, a young goalie who stepped in, obviously with Carter Hart missing. He's going to be a huge key to, to whether they can keep this up. Uh, you know, even guys like Joel Farabee, Morgan Frost, these are still young guys. And I sometimes feel like some Flyers fans out there, they're so focused on draft picks and Matt Vay-Mitchkoff and some other prospects in the system that they don't appreciate or recognize enough the steps that some of the young guys already on the team have taken this season. So, you know, these guys aren't all of a sudden going to totally drop off, I, I don't think, anyway. Um, and that's, I think, that should be the biggest reason for hope, not just in, in a potential playoff run, but, but also just moving forward season by season. And, and I think, you know, they've gotten so – they're so close to making the playoffs now that I do think that the front office recognizes that if you're going to keep trying to develop these young guys, well, putting them in – getting them first-round playoff experience, I mean, that stuff's invaluable. Those guys will, will then know what it's going to take throughout the course of a regular season – and the next time they're in the playoffs, what it takes to win games when it's the most important time of the year. I'm a big believer in that. Um, you mentioned Sam Erson. 
And I don't think any of us expected going into the season that he was at this point going to be the number one guy carrying the majority of the load. Circumstances have created that. I know that they have uh, a number of goalies within the system. You know, perhaps they saw the Carter Hart thing as a possibility, and so they loaded up. But Sam Erson, could he be a – do you believe he can develop into a front-line NHL goalie? That's going to be the biggest question for me here over the last few weeks is is can he hold up and, and handle a number one workload? And, you know, even before Carter Hart left, it was it, it was – I would say through the first two, two-and-a-half months, it was more like of a 70-30 split with, with Carter Hart getting the majority of the starts. But – Erson, when he was in there, particularly after it was around maybe the second week of November, he really settled in. It was more of a 50-50 split over the course of December and then in January before Hart, you know, had to leave. So um, that's something I think that they're all going to keep a close eye on here over the next few weeks and months is can he handle a number one workload? And obviously the NHL is a little bit different now than it was even five, six years ago where teams would really lean heavily on a number one guy. But, you know, these days there's a lot of teams out there that, that think it's more like a 60-40 split and and you don't want to overwork your starter in the regular season to either keep him fresh for the playoffs or just have, have two two guys that can win you games. But I'm not sure the Flyers have that right now because, you know, Cal Peterson is their backup and he's the guy that's really kind of struggled to, to establish himself as an NHL goalie the last few years. They're going to need Erson to to really run with the ball here. So, you know, he'll get the start tonight. I imagine they'll put Peterson in for the Blackhawks game next week. And then I would imagine Erson will get a string of three or four starts again in a row. So we'll find out a lot about him. But, I, I you know, Tortorella has, has been pretty adamant that he likes this guy's mental makeup. And um, so far he's handled it well. You know, the, 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 the games going into the all-star break really could have could have ruined him really could have ruined his his maybe uh his mindset because they lose five in a row he's in net for all five of them um but just like the rest of the team he came out of the all-star break and, and sort of reestablished his game right away and and that's you know that's why they're big reason why they're 4-0 and one and they're, and they're uh you know he's played four of the five but he's played well since the all-star break we're talking to kevin kurz the flyers beat writer for the athletic kevin how much of the team's improvement this season comes down to the head coach. I think a lot of people, myself included to a great degree, were a little skeptical of John Tortorella being the right kind of coach for a rebuild because he's tough and he can really lean on guys and you've got to have players with the right kind of mentality to be able to withstand a guy with a reputation as a, with a coaching style that's being really withering and demanding how much of what we've seen from the Flyers this season do you say that's because of Torts? Well, I, I would go back to the progression of the young players. You know, for me, that's the most—that's his most important job. Uh, his most important—that—that's—that's that's the most important, the v- most vital part of the rebuild is getting these young players to to progress in their careers. And you know, it's it's kind of funny. It seems like there's been a handful of guys that. They've publicly had a meeting with Torts, or he scratched them. And, and Morgan Frost is the biggest example where Torts was pulling him from the lineup. I think he was healthy scratched something like 11 times this season. Scratches them again in early January. And then he talked about how Frost requested a meeting with him and, and got some things off his chest. And, and Torts appreciated that. And since then, Morgan Frost has maybe been their best forward, either him or Owen Tippett. Um, but 
that you go right down the line. I mean, even Cam Atkinson, who's a veteran guy who's played for Torts in the past in Columbus, he was struggling. He got pulled in the lineup. He goes in there, has a meeting with Torts, and scores a point in a game for like seven or of his next eight games. So, um, you know, just the fact that guys like Frost, Owen Tippett, who we really haven't even mentioned, he, he earns an eight-year mm-hmm. contract extension. I mean, this is a guy that could be a 30- to 40-goal scorer for the next decade for this team. Um, he's He's – praised Torts for the way he's been handled. Torts has been pushing him to play more physical game, which is something that he wasn't necessarily accustomed to coming up through juniors. Um, Joel Farabee, we saw him sit on the bench for 59 minutes in a game, just mm-hmm. working the door as guys came on and off. And, and he's been um, one of their top even strength point producers. So, you know, I, I look at the fact that all these young guys as a group have, have taken steps in their development and the head coach deserves a heck of a lot of credit for that. I like it. One more from me. We're talking to Kevin Kurz. You can follow Kevin on Twitter at K, it's K Kurz NHL, correct? K U R Z. K K U R Z N H L. Jamie Drysdale was the guy they got in the trade for Cutter Gauthier. Uh, there was a lot of uh, excitement when he got here. Geez, a lot of embrace when he got here. Mm-hmm. Should I be disappointed in what I've been seeing? I, I wouldn't say disappointed because the. the the ducks play a different way than the flyers do. And I think he's still learning his way a little bit. I mean, don't get me wrong. There have been times where he's been, he has struggled particularly defensively. And um, if you go back a couple of games ago, he kind of got lost in the defensive zone, led to a goal against. And then um, late in that game, he, he lets a guy get behind him for a breakaway and, and Arison has to bail him out. But, Skill-wise, you know, we're still talking about a guy that's just 21 years old here, and, and, and this is the first time he's changed teams. So I think he's getting a little bit of a rope from Tortorella and from everyone else because it is a different way that the Flyers play. But, you know, Torts wants him to get involved in the offense. And for a defenseman that's offensive like that, it's just learning when, how to walk that line, right? When do you jump up? When do you hang back? When do you be aggressive? When do you not? Um, so – We'll see. And, you know, it'll be interesting, too, because if they do trade Sean Walker, which is a, is a definite possibility, is probably still more likely than not to happen. Drysdale is going to be the guy that's going to end up getting more minutes mm-hmm. and who will have to fill that role of being an offensive defenseman that can quickly transition the puck, get it to the net. And, and he's obviously got more of an upside than Sean Walker does in terms of offense. Um, and we've also seen him lately uh, – quarterbacking the power play and that's that was really the worst part of the Flyers game Mm -hmm. through the all-star break it's been better lately and Drysdale I think is settling in on that part of the game which he should because that's really his bread and butter Um, it's just defensively you got to keep an eye on him a little bit so we'll see if he ends up getting more minutes and he fills in for Walker if he can handle those minutes because that's going to be a a huge part too if this team's going to make the playoffs they're going to need him probably to play a little bit better of a 200-foot game Kevin, last one for me. You've covered the Islanders and the San Jose Sharks for the Athletic yeah. in your career there, but you know you met Glenn and me when you were working for the Flyers. <laughs> what yeah. is it like now to cover the team that you used to work for? You know what? It's, it's, there's been so much turnover, and it's been so long. You know, I left in 2010 after they lost to the Blackhawks there in the finals, which it was probably it was probably a good amount of time to be away because. Um, you know, obviously, I grew up liking the Flyers, right? And obviously, when you become a reporter, you you quickly put that aside. Um, I'll tell you one thing, though, Mike. Like, I didn't realize before I came down here how far the Flyers had fallen off the sports radar in Philadelphia mm-hmm. because I haven't lived here in 12 years. And 
when I did leave in, in 2011 and I moved to California, obviously the Flyers were still, at, at, you know, at, at a very popular team and they were still selling out the building with, with guys like Mike Richards and Chris Pronger and Claude Giroux and all that. Um, and, and obviously I watched from afar as, as the team struggled and attendance sort of dwindled a little bit, but I always thought that there would be that hardcore fan base in place. And I think a lot of them have left. And I think a big reason that Keith Jones was brought in and, you know, I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know, but he's trying to make the team relevant again, right? Mm-hmm. Relevant in a market that has some very good professional sports teams. Um, and that's tough. And, and, but that's also why I think they do recognize the importance of making the playoffs this year because you can do all these different things off the ice, you know, whether it's marketing pushes or ticket sales deals. But what's going to make this team relevant again is getting in the playoffs and – I think if they do get into the playoffs this year, a lot of people in this market will be reminded that there's a hockey team here and maybe they'll recognize that there are some good young players here and maybe they should start paying attention again. Kevin Kurz, thank you so much for your insight. We appreciate it. Enjoy uh, sitting outside at MetLife Stadium tonight watching. <laughs> oh, we're inside. No, oh, you're in, you guys are inside. Yeah, okay. you've been there, right? We're in the... We're in the NFL press box. Okay, we'll that's be, good. I thought maybe you had to be outside. Okay. No, no. 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 Oh, I enjoy. <laughs> All right. Well, enjoy it, Kevin. Thanks again. Thanks, guys. You got it. Thank Take you. Care. Yeah, for some reason, I thought they might seat the press outside. You know, so that they can type and take their notes with gloves on. No, I went to like the uh, the one, uh, the first one the Flyers played in at Fenway Park. Years yes. ago, when it was still a really big deal, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we sat inside the the baseball press box at Fenway. It was a ton of fun. So the, I just have a quick question about that. Um, Sarah Baker, who you know, who I yes. know, who I, I, I have always thought she's terrific, uh, put a tweet up yesterday that says, the Flyers uh, have been giving away tickets to the stadium series to season ticket holders, and I've seen a bunch of people trying to offload them for free. Have outdoor games jumped the shark, so to speak? Interesting. Now, they got the Jonas Brothers, pregame concert, 630. Well, that's not moving the needle for me. Okay, Just well, got to be honest. <laughs> I, I, I was telling Mike, so I'm headed up to the game tonight after the oh, show. You are. I am. Yeah, I'm, I'm locked in with the Jonas Brothers, and then they're playing again after the second period. Oh wait, so are you more excited about Jonas Brothers? Or are you more excited? No, the, about game. the game. That was a little bit of fake excitement, but the oh, Jonas okay. Brothers are good. They're, yeah, yeah. they're hey. just good enough that I'm like excited to see them, but I would never go see them in concert hey. separate from something like this. I, I got to be honest, guys. I was there for Usher at halftime of the Super Bowl. That looked yeah. awesome, by the and way. And it was tremendous i thought it was great you know and i just i looked at him and i thought wow this is how i look when i'm at parties and yeah you know uh-huh. your roller I, skate around skates. yeah well my shirt off and all of that that was the know. most impressive part right so first of all it was a it was a whole lot of material what 17 songs a medley of whatever yeah you forget how many hits so many he's had hits, yeah right and um i'm not particularly a fan of the music i respect it but it's not like i got a lot of it you know playing at home but uh, but to do all of that and the dancing and the quick change and all of that and all the choreography, and then he's on skates, and my God, he skated brilliantly. Yeah. I was, was just – He I apparently does this in his Vegas shows, like all the time, in his well, residency and stuff. So I he, was it, floored by that. Yeah, it was, it was a great performance. I, you know, and if you look at, like, it, however they track, like, interest in the Super Bowl, like, it went up and was – People were engaged for that halftime show. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, uh, that was great. But the, just I want to get back to my original question. Because when they started the outdoor games and the first couple was mm-hmm. such a, you know, a great revelation, a throwback. And 
Oh, who was the guy? Was the Canadian's goalie wearing a, 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 a toque on his head and yeah. so on? It was, it was a real know. novelty. Yes. Yeah. And now it's, you know, something that's almost every year. Is it still really cool? You're going, Dan, which suggests that for you it is. Well, so, yeah, I I made a point to go to this one. I was not at the – they played in the Winter Classic in Boston. They played at the Winter Classic here at Citizens Bank Park. They hosted a stadium series game at the Link, and they also played in one in Pittsburgh. So I think this is their – Fifth outdoor game of this era, so to speak. I, yeah. I did not get to attend any of those. So this is like, this is a bucket list item for me to go see an outdoor game. But to your point, it does feel like they overdo it a little bit. The Winter Classic used to be once a year, just on New Year's Day. Now they do this. The Flyers are playing tonight. The Islanders and Rangers are playing on the same ice tomorrow night. I think they also had another outdoor game. Like now they're doing like four or five a year. They've kind of saturated it a little bit. Like it felt cooler when it was just once and it was like a big deal to host it. Yeah. You know what this is? It's interleague play in baseball. It's like too much of it. Yeah. yeah. It was cool when it started, and it was a novelty, and now it's just part of what the sport is. And I think people have baked that into their experience yeah. in following the NHL. Well, Dan, you'll give us your report next week. I'm, I'm excited because, like I said, I've never yeah. been to one of these. So it's never a, been. It is, yeah. it is a time It is fun. cool. I covered the one that the Rangers beat the Flyers at. Um, at CBP, yeah. Yeah. Uh, back in 2012. Anyway, we got what we're watching coming up in the next segment. We still have Matt Gelb to talk Phillies, and we are still taking your calls at 215-592-9494. Glenn Macnow and Mike Sealski on WIP. There comes a time when we heed a certain call when the world must come together as one so many feelings, Glenn Macnow. Yeah, everybody knows that. What we're watching, sponsored by God Adorn Window. Take advantage of God Adorn Window's big winter sale through February. Keep it going real low, Dan. Let's keep that. There's part of it I want to, I want to put up there. Uh, receive 40% off all windows and doors. Call 1-877-GO-GOD or visit them at gogoida.com. Uh, and that, of course, is, uh, is the song that everybody knows. We Are the World, recorded in January 1985, right after the American Music Awards in Los Angeles, when 50 of the biggest names in American music at the time, everybody but Prince and Madonna, I think, and we'll, we'll get to that, mm-hmm. gathered between 10 p.m. and 8 a.m. at a studio in L.A. and made that song one night. Mike, everybody, and and it is chronicled in this documentary, The Greatest Night in Pop on Netflix that is running now, and it's a very popular documentary. Mike, everybody knows and remembers the song. By the way, I don't think the song's that good. No, I don't either. Okay. <laughs> I'll be honest. I hum it, and I... It's a, it's a guilty pleasure kind it, of song. It's, it's catchy. Yeah, it, it is. Um, it was created to raise money toward feeding Ethiopians who were in the midst of a famine that killed three-quarters of a million people. It raised more than $80 million, which is more than $200 million today for humanitarian aid. Very, very noble thing. So in one place, at one time, they got – I'm going to start saying names, and then when I run out, you guys jump in. Okay. Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, Lionel Richie, who quarterbacked the whole thing. Lionel Richie's the hero of this thing. Yeah, it took uh, on a new respect for him. Absolutely. Diana Ross, uh, Harry Belafonte, Bob Dylan, Springsteen, Kenny Rogers, Willie Nelson. It's a living wax museum. It's my CD <laughs> collection. It's probably my cassette collection. It was amazing to see. it, and, and it captured a moment in time, too, Glenn, because you mentioned the big names, the big lasting names. But you're also you also get to see artists who in 1985 were as popular as they were ever going to be, right? It was Huey Lewis gets a solo in this song. Cindy Lauper gets a solo in this song. 
Kim Carnes, who had one big yeah. hit in her entire career. A good voice, yeah, though. Terrific voice. And then the one person who is in that studio, and this was the only flaw, my one <laughs> tiny little quibble oh, with this know. documentary yeah, yeah. was, what in the name of Christ is Dan Aykroyd doing in that yeah. studio? And please explain it to me in this movie. Please. Well, I mean, Blues Brothers was not that long before that. I guess he was very big at the time. I don't know. I can't because I, you're right. He doesn't. Um, by the way, of the names you mentioned, Huey Lewis, who um, appear, was interviewed in a lot of this, mm-hmm. and talks. the thing that was amazing is, and this was so cool, he talks about how intimidated he was to be with those people. Yes. How in awe he was as like a young kind of star that he was there. And that was very cool. The cool aspect of the whole thing was that most of these mega stars had never met each other before because they're on the road. They're doing their stuff. They don't, you know, they don't intersect that much. And you see the worship among some and the ice breaking as the friendships develop and the respect that they have for all different styles of music. I thought that was very, very cool. It was. And that's kind of crystallized in what I think was maybe my favorite part of the movie. And I know you really liked it, too, was when the time comes for Bob Dylan to record his part of the song. And Stevie Wonder has to kind of shepherd him through it. Yeah. He's so uncomfortable. He, he it's it's. By the way, when you see them all singing together, he's barely singing. Yes. And, yeah, when it's his time to do a solo, he freezes. Like it, like it's all foreign. He's not a pop singer, right, per se. He's, he's a... He's a poet. A poet, a minstrel, whatever. And, and Stevie Wonder, as you said, guides him through it by doing the all-time great Dylan impersonation. Yeah, he's like... He says, here's how you should do it, and he starts doing Dylan. Yeah, because the way that Quincy Jones, who kind of orchestrates the whole thing, separated and decided which pop star would sing what part was based on each of their vocal ranges, right? So Bob Dylan has less vocal range than I do, and so where do you have him sing, and how do you have him sing? And Stevie Wonder actually has to say, no, you, you got to do it like this, Bob. You know, we are the world. Like, right. and, he, and he does the impression of yes. Dylan so that it. Dylan can figure out how he can sing uh, it and not great. sound terrible. It's great. The real hero is a guy that nobody ever heard of. His name is Tom Baylor who was the vocal arranger. He was a collaborator with Quincy Jones. And he was the guy who assigned who gets a solo line when. Mm-hmm. Like, Paul Simon goes here, and we're going to pair him with Dion Warwick because their styles work together. And he, and he does – it's like doing a baseball batting order, right? And he orchestrates the dramatic flow and the, the, the harmonic dynamics, which to me was, was a really cool part of the whole thing. There's just, and as Mike said, there's all these other nuggets in it. Wayne Jennings, Waylon Jennings, excuse me, gets bored or, or pissed off or hungry, and, and he walks he out. He walks out, of, he leaves. Yes. <laughs> who was it at one point who said that if a bomb drops on this place, uh, John Denver's back on top? Paul Simon. Paul Simon, yeah. I yeah. thought that was a good line. Uh, yeah. Was it uh, Stevie Wonder couldn't find the bathroom and Ray Charles goes, I'll show you? Yeah. <laughs> yes. I thought it was the other way around, but yeah. Or the well, other way around. I mean, like, there was yeah. a lot of good humor in it, and it was just kind of cool to see logistically it all get pulled together and i was saying to you glenn like i think last week it was you didn't even realize that uh in 2010 they remade the song like artists of today did it for haiti yeah. um which and to your point mike vince vaughn made it on that track and no one can figure out why so it was like the dan Aykroyd <laughs> of 25 years later. i guess they just have one actor who's out of place uh, yeah. as a running joke here but no I, I thought it was really really cool uh even though it was well before i was even alive to see just how they pulled that all together and all the at the sign, check your ego at the door, I thought was pretty cool because yes. you have a lot of, you know, music 
art, musical artists who are usually the lead, and now they're taking a back seat. It's almost like when a star athlete, you know, gets on a team and isn't the star player anymore. Yeah, it's kind of similar. Now, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And to me, what was fascinating was the way it all came together, right? Because nobody has a cell phone at that time. Right, right. So they get the idea. Lionel Richie is at the heart of getting this idea. And Lionel Richie is hosting the American Music Awards. So he's got it, and they decide, the organizers, that, okay, we will, since most of these folks are going to be in town in L.A. for the award ceremony anyway, let's do it that night. And so they have to reach out to all the the answering machines and secretaries and publicists of all these big music stars. And keep it a secret, too. Keep it a secret and wait for them to get back to them. It's not like you just text yeah, Stevie Wonder was supposed to help write the song and didn't get back for like two weeks. Right. And was like, where were you guys? And they're like, who's going to tell them? Right. You know, it, it was exactly right. It was, it was funny. And meanwhile, while Lionel Richie is hosting the American Music Awards and winning a whole bunch of awards that night, Michael Jackson is in the studio, not at the awards ceremony, but working on the song, and it just was a cool piece of nostalgia to go yeah. back into that time and to think back like I'm 9 or 10 years old, this song is everywhere, and here's how it all came together. It is well worth watching, Glenn. Yeah, and then when he got home, his family asked him about the awards, and he, like, completely forgot about it. Right. He was like, that was <laughs> that an afterthought in his night. That's old news, yeah. yeah. Springsteen's in Buffalo, and there's snow, and there's a shocker, and he can't get out, and they don't know if he's going to make it, and... Yeah, I think we mentioned most of them. Smokey Robinson is there and Cindy Lauper. Dion Warwick. Okay, so the two that weren't there, and they kind of explain one but not the other. One is Prince. And by the way, they, they have his, uh, what's his name? Sheila uh, E. Yeah, Sheila E., who was kind of his girlfriend at the time, and she realizes halfway through the night, oh, I think they have me here only because they thought I would bring him. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but Madonna is not there, and they like never address what that was about. They still, like, she was huge at the time. What was up with that? Yeah, I've, I've read some things that suggest that they didn't think she was a strong enough singer to warrant being there, but, man, she's at... She's never more popular than she is in nineteen January of nineteen eighty five. She's the yeah. material girl. Yeah. Uh and and they don't have her there, but like I said, they have Kim Carnes, they have Cindy Lauper. That was great. You know. It, it it was and Diana Ross. The what really made it cool for me was all of these different performers with such varied styles, right? Mm -hmm. Country and rock and soul and just everything kind of got it together to create a song. I don't love the song, but I love the performance, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, we, we are not the children anymore, Glenn. You, not you and me. But. Well, you, so that, <laughs> here's the thing. You were whatever you were, 10 years old. It, for you, it had to strike very differently. It did. It did. And it was everywhere. You know, you have to remember, too, at that time, you're talking about the power of MTV, where if you, th this song is getting played not only on the radio, but oh, it's yeah. in heavy rotation on MTV every hour, every two hours. It's this, it's Thriller, it's the age where an album or a song gets to be so big. I mean, we have Taylor Swift now, but think about Taylor Swift times three or four, because that's what you had with Michael Jackson and Madonna and Prince and these kinds of artists. And so, yeah, it, it brought back a lot of cool memories for me. I loved it. It was It's an hour and a half, and if you are of Generation X or a baby boomer, you absolutely should watch it. Um, it will bring a smile to your face, I think. All right. One other thing we want to cover here, uh, and it's just one other thing from the Super Bowl. You heard this week 124 million people watched it, the most watched event program of all time. That is amazing. 
That's funny that in this day and age you get that. Um, and my takeaway, other than the game, and I've been banging this drum for a while, Tony Romo was terrible. And I just want to play the winning touchdown and then get your thoughts on this, Mike. Here we go. Let's get this. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. we got to fish for this thing. But this is when the Chiefs score to win the game in overtime. Mm-hmm. And you get the call. We we played the call, the radio call at the start of the show. Kevin Harlan was terrific. How are we looking, Dan? We ready? Okay, that's all right. We'll take a minute. Okay. I, let, let me get your take first, uh, uh, Mike, just on Tony Romo during the game. Yeah, no, I was at the game, so I was blessed oh, that's right. That's in, right. in not having to listen to Tony Romo. I am <laughs> not a fan at all. I am not a fan of that team. I think Jim Nance and Tony Romo don't work well together at all. I think they are at best CBS's third best broadcasting pair. I think Ian Eagle and I think he's with Charles Davis now are much, much better. And I think Tony Romo is living off of this ability he had early in his career as a broadcaster to predict what was coming. And now he hasn't learned the discipline as a color analyst to know when to not talk. All right, here we go. This is the this is the winning touchdown. Mahomes flings it. It's there. Hardman, jackpot, Kansas City. And this was the Andy Reid special. This was the Andy Reid special we talked about. He was saving all day. He's going to fake a motion to go across. And at that moment, he turns and goes back. Hartman, who they didn't All right, have, enough right? yammering and by him. Mike, by what three. is the number one rule if you're going to be a good color commentator? Let the moment breathe. Amen. And not only that, That's Glenn, it. not only did he talk over the moment, the Kansas City Chiefs just won the Super Bowl back-to-back for the first time since the Patriots 20 years ago. It's their third championship in four years. It's a big moment in the league, and he's talking about the play that Andy Reid called, and he's just talking all over the moment in this gibberish that the average football fan in that moment doesn't care about. It's not relevant. Nobody wants to know what the play call is there. They want someone to take a measure of what just happened, and he completely dropped the ball on it. Yeah, terrible, and, you know, I don't know that his bosses, his coaches, I'm talking his you know, TV coaches, try to get that through to him, but he has gotten progressively worse. I was disappointed when he got the assignment, and he did not He did not live, or he li- certainly lived down to my low expectations. Uh, by the way, just uh, one more time to tell people the name of the uh, documentary we like, because a few people have already reached out, The Greatest Night in Pop. It's on Netflix, and the three of us all loved it. It was great. I absolutely recommend it. Uh, my wife and I, Kate and I, are still trucking through the bear. We haven't had a chance uh, to watch it lately. And she actually, Glenn, I don't know if you watched this or not. She has just finished season one of The White Lotus. I have not watched it. Uh, it is uh, it's something I ought to get to one some point. It's, I, it's supposed to be great. I watched about five minutes of it, and I found the characters all so loathsome that I didn't want to yeah, watch anymore. But she loved it. it. Oh, speaking of loathsome, uh, Dan Wilson, are you caught up on uh, on Curb? I'm caught up on Curb. I know you're caught up on Curb, Mike. You catch up? I have not. No, oh, okay. I have not. H- how's think, it holding Dan? up? I thought the second episode was even better than the first. I thought the Loved first it. episode, you know, we, you know, real tone setter for the season, and 
you know, kind of really, you could see where we're starting to go. The second episode was really, really funny. It's still taking place in Atlanta. I don't want to give too much away, uh, but it, it's it's really, really funny. And Larry David is getting himself into more trouble. Oh, that's good. It's, it's quintessential Larry David, and I and I love it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Before we hit the break, let's get Robert from Germantown in. He wants to talk about the NFL draft. Uh, Robert, what do you got? Hey, guys. How you doing? Great. Uh, so, anyhow, one of the fun things about this time of year is they have all these NFL draft simulator games on, on uh, online. Some of them are actually free. Yeah. So, it's a neat thing to play with. For me, I kind of came up with these three guys. wanted your thoughts on that. My first pick would be a center, Jackson Powers Johnson. Second would be uh, Trotter, Jeremiah Trotter, linebacker. And the third would be this kid, Corm, running back from Michigan. If I had my, if I was a GM, those three guys I'd pick. Well, here's the thing, though, Robert. Two of those three guys are at positions that if the Eagles took them in the first round, everybody in the greater Philadelphia area and around the NFL would be shocked. You're talking about taking mm-hmm. a linebacker and taking a running back. Mm-hmm. I know. But- I like Jeremiah Trotter Jr. too, but I would be surprised if the Eagles took him in the first round. Glenn, your thoughts? Apparently the, our afternoon show has a hashtag uh, now on Twitter, Trot or Not as they are involved in the campaign, and I will bang the trotter drum or the linebacker drum. You know, I, I, I don't follow college football enough that I can tell you this guy's great, although I've seen trotter and he's great. Uh, they haven't drafted a linebacker in the first round since 1978. They're due. Not Indeed. a center, though. Not a center. No, no. You, you got an air parent at center. You got to give him a chance. I'm not – I got enough needs that I'm not going to spend my first-round pick on a center. That one I will not agree with you. Who's going to play guard, though? Well, look, I mean, they've got Dickerson, they've got, I'm trying to think, you know, Jurgens, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, Jurgens is is the center of the future, I think, and, you know, this will all, I think, I think a lot of what's happening here is a holding pattern based on what Jason Kelsey decides to do, and if Kelsey decides to come back, he's obviously your center, and Jurgens stays where he is. If he doesn't decide to come back, then they have some decisions to make and some changes to make, I think. Absolutely. Great show as always, guys. Glenn, there's a guy you might want to check on Facebook, John Kuko. He used to be a sports guy in your neighborhood. You probably know him. But he retired, and he, he does lovely photos every day of western New York. And this wow. morning he did a live thing, and he, he was so happy to see snow in western New York in the Fingers Lake age, a, a area. And, well, because uh, they don't get enough of it. So. Yeah, that's true. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Appreciate Robert. it, man. Appreciate Thanks. the call. Um, yeah, you know, I honestly, Glenn, I thought the snow this morning was going to be worse. I, I woke up around here. I mean, I woke up, yeah. you know, loaded for bear figuring I was going to be digging my, uh, my driveway out for an hour and wasn't so bad. How old are your sons now? Uh, 12 and nine, but Seems we about the right age. Yeah. We only have one shovel in the house though. So, you know, but I got two sons. Well, yeah, but I got a rotation. Uh, we could, we yeah, could. It's almost We're, time for you to retire there, my boy. Yeah. Oh. You know, I'm starting to get spam mail from AARP. And it's just so depressing. You know what I do? I print them out. I, I print out hey. the, the email itself, and the, I eat the paper just to show Let me show tell you something that. about AARP. You take that card into a Dunkin' Donuts, free donut. <laughs> so don't scoff. I'm 48, man. I can't you know, start You're two about years that. away from uh-huh. all the free donuts you want. Oh, God. All right. Well, listen, we're a couple of minutes away from our Cooper Doc segment. We're about 15 minutes away from Matt Gelb from The Athletic talking about the fills. And we're able to take your calls, of course, at 215-592-9494. Glenn Macnow and Mike Sealski with you until 1 o'clock on WIP.
Tobias Harris from the ring. There it is. 25 this afternoon. Well, that was uh, Tobias Harris hitting a three-pointer earlier this season. He hasn't done that in a while, and we are going to talk to Dr. Mark Pollard during our Cooper Bone and Joint segment about why Tobias Harris has not hit a three or done much of anything else for the Sixers lately. <laughs> Hi, Dr. Pollard. Not How are you? talking about his form, is he? <laughs> Maybe. Well, okay. Hello, guys. Hope you're doing hey, well. We are, we are doing well, doctor. So Tobias Harris has a hip impingement. What is that, and how does it develop? Um, well, interestingly, hip impingement really has only been recognized probably for about the last couple of decades. Um, it's uh, And there's not entire agreement about what exactly it is or uh, how how best to treat it. But essentially, what it is, your hip joint is a ball-and-socket type joint. You've got the ball at the top of the femur bone that's in the socket, of your pelvis bone called the acetabulum. And so, you know, the ideal anatomy, how we're normally put together, is that there's a perfect amount of cup to go around in this ball at the top of your femur bone. But the thought is that sometimes the body, either by the way you were born or over time you develop a little bit of extra bone, but you end up with either too much rim on the edge of the cup or you end up with a buildup of bone right at the base of the ball so that when your hip moves into certain positions, you can end up essentially pinching the bone against the bone in what would normally be motion that wouldn't have any restriction. And when this happens, the thought is that it can cause pain. Initially, it can cause some damage to some of the structures around the hip, like a, a hip uh, labral tear and things like that. Um, and it's worst sense, it can cause um, uh, some uh, uh, arthritis to develop and things like that. And so as far as treatment goes, initially the treatment is physical therapy, trying to stretch things out, making sure you can't manage things that way. But, uh, you know, when that doesn't help and nothing seems to be improving things and the uh, uh, symptoms keep worsening, and there's findings on the uh, imaging studies that indicate that there's uh, some uh, uh, bony impingement or a detached labrum. Sometimes surgery is used, and most of the time it's arthroscopic-type surgery, either shaving some of the extra bone back down to get to the point where it doesn't pinch anymore, and sometimes addressing the uh, soft tissue problems like a labral repair or something like that. Uh, I don't have any more questions on that. I'm. I wish I had more uh, hope for the Sixers. But I got a. a I got a Mike Sielski question for you, Doc. Okay. And I know you're not a cardiologist, but I know you studied all of that along the way. <laughs> I see where this is going. Uh, and, okay. And and you look out for people's health in all realms of things. Is there mm-hmm. a certain age at which you would recommend people stop shoveling their driveways and hand it off to their strong, strapping, growing sons? As soon as those strong, strapping sons are able to hold a shovel, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a good one. In my medical opinion, at least. Yeah, but is, I mean, is there a general age at which, like, you know, you shouldn't be out there? Um, Yeah, it's something that I struggle with uh, for sure. You know, my parents are in their 80s, and they still oftentimes shovel their own snow, and they live in Erie, Erie, Pennsylvania, and there's a lot of snow up there sometimes. Um, But it's kind of a... Uh, you know, it, it depends. You know, there's, you know, 80-year-olds who are in better shape than some 45-year-olds that I've known and, and vice versa. So a lot of it depends on medical history. It is 
pretty tough exercise, um, you know, and it's a real stress on a heart, especially if somebody's not used to that kind of uh, uh, yeah. Uh, exercise. Yeah, like sits around in press boxes and. Excuse know. me, sir. I am ten feet tall and bulletproof. Okay. Yeah, okay. All right. So, Doc, uh... thank you for. But th- your first point was correct. Yeah. As soon as the kids can grab a shovel. <laughs> this is Doc. Thank you so much for thank you, Doc. Uh, for talking to us. There appreciate it. We pulled him into that one, didn't we? We sure did. This is this is not even a matter of whether it's good for my health or not. You just want me to to uh, raise my kids a certain way. I think. Mm, no, uh, no. There, I actually know of a circumstance where something occurred to somebody who was shoveling, who was in his fifties, and. Mm-hmm. After that, I took a serious look at it and yeah. roused my sons out of bed and said, "Guess what? It's it's now yours." So yeah, and believe me, I, I do. I come upon it. I, we're making jokes and stuff, but I I come upon it fairly seriously, having known of a, a circumstance mm-hmm. where where tragedy occurred. Yeah, and and I totally get that. And believe me, I'm getting to the point now mm-hmm. where I've got to ask Evan and Gabe to engage in this kind of uh, you know physical labor uh, a little bit more often than they do. By the way. Somebody just sent me Dan Aykroyd's quote on why he was there. Oh, okay. Here you go. This was on W A. Oh, oh, W A T O. We are the world. I, I'm thinking that's like he was interviewed by a radio station. Okay. Here's what he says. Totally by accident. My father and I were interviewing business managers in L.A. and we walked into this office of a talent manager and realized we were in the wrong place. I was looking for a money manager, not a talent manager. I had managed myself at the time and always have. But he said, so long as you are here, would you like to come in and join this We Are the World thing? I thought, how do I fit here? Well, we did sell a few million records with the Blues Brothers. And in my other persona, I am a musician. So I showed up and was part of it, but it was totally by accident. He should have wore the sunglasses. and the Yes, hat. and played the harmonica. Well, yeah. they didn't have any. Well, they didn't have a yeah. harmonica. That was part of the reason we left that out in talking about the show. That was part of the reason that Prince ended up not showing up was that when they reached out to him, he wanted to do a guitar solo as yeah. part of the song, and they were like, nah, that's not, not happening. not doing that. No. Um, yeah. You know, not that a Prince guitar solo is a bad thing, because it's not. He, he could really shred that thing, but um, not, not, to, not in that situation. You know, not, not around 50 of the, the biggest pop stars ever, and they're not going to bend the knee to you in that situation. Anyway, uh, lines are open. Uh, we got Matt Gelb coming up uh, in about five minutes to talk Phillies from Clearwater. We are happy to take your calls about the Eagles, the Flyers, the Sixers, the Phils, all matter of Philly sports at 215-592-9494 with Glenn Macnow. I am Mike Sealski on 94 WIP. Hey, if this cold. Fans are singing along with Bryson Stott's walk-up music. Fastball hit in the air. Deep to right field. Going back is Sanchez. He's going to just watch it go. A grand slam for Bryson Stott. He has lifted the roof off the building. And the Phillies have opened it up. They're on top seven to nothing. That was Tom McCarthy back in October. Back when we all thought the Phillies had a pretty good chance of going to the World Series, and Bryson Stott was hitting grand slams in the playoffs. And now here we are, and we're just about a week into spring training, and Matt Gelb, the terrific Phillies beat reporter from The Athletic, joins us. He's been down there for the last few days. Matthew, how are you? What's up? You sound enthusiastic to be in Clearwater. (laughs) I am. 
it's raining. They they got to work out in this morning, and it started raining, and it's going to rain for the next uh, about 36 hours down here. So uh, I know it's not snow, so nobody has any sympathy. But uh, be a little, it's going to be a quiet weekend in Clearwater, a lot of rain. Okay, so what do you glean out of the first couple of days of any spring training, and what are you kind of learning, if anything, about the 2024 Phillies from these last couple of days? I'm like, I mean, quite frankly, I glean little. I mean, I don't know. It's not a lot. Um, I mean, you want to see what kind of shape guys are in. But, I, I mean, you know, these guys now, I mean, it used to be when you got to spring training, you know, it was when guys, you know, got themselves into shape. But now, obviously, these guys, these professional athletes are training year-round and are, are, you know, very few of them are not coming to camp in shape or in better shape or in, in decent shape. So, um, not, even that, it's hard to judge anything on that. And, I mean, you're just trying to check the pulse of really, you know, how some of these guys feel going into the year, you know, get an idea for maybe what some guys are working on the off season or what they're uh, planning to use spring training to work on. And, um, you know, this is a, 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 an unusual spring in that there was a lot of continuity. I and mean, really, I cannot remember a roster with such little overturn as this one. And obviously they've made um, some acquisitions and they're about to make another one uh, with Merrifield, um, who, you know, whose deal will become official either tomorrow or Monday. And so, uh, there, you know, there is some things that, that you know, sort of monitor, but, um, you know, this is a team that's very familiar with it, with itself and what it needs to do, and um, I do think that can help. And I also understand why people are a little squeamish because uh, there wasn't a lot of overturn. Let's talk about the Merrifield deal. Um, it was clear they wanted to get some outfield depth, some insurance maybe. Um, if Rojas can't play every day, what's, what role do you see him playing ideally, and what do you think he's got left? I think he's a decent fit as a part-time player for them. And that's what they've been interested in uh, with Merrifield for really the whole winter. And I think not until recently uh, was Merrifield kind of on board of that. He's been an everyday guy uh, for his entire career. Um, at this stage in his career, I, I don't really think he's an everyday guy anymore, at least not on a contending team. Um, he'll be 35 this year. Uh, I, I, I think he, he he's a decent fit. Uh, you know, because his two primary positions are left field and second base, uh, and he's a right-handed hitter, and the Phillies have two younger left-handed hitting uh, players at those two spots, left field and second base. So it's not to say every time there's a tough lefty in the mound, Whit Merrifield's going to be playing second base or playing left field, but I think it gives them an option there. I mean, more than anything, Glenn, like you said, it, they needed insurance. Um, I, I think this is a guy that just gives them a safety net um, I don't think uh, he's going to supersede what they want to do in the outfield. I do think that they want Rojas and Marsh to be the guys in center and left. But I also think there is enough wiggle room here to get Merrifield to start the week. And if there is an injury to someone in the outfield or someone on the infield and they can move things around, then Merrifield, you know, maybe he's a two- or three-week guy where he's playing every day. But anything more than that, I think they'd be in a little trouble. Um, I think he's a guy uh, that brings some intangibles that they like in the clubhouse. I think he's going to fit in well. Uh, it makes sense. I think they probably paid, you know, maybe a little more uh, than I thought they would for that kind of role. Uh, but it sounds as if Merrifield camp was looking for a two-year deal most of the offseason. Uh, Philly's got him to one year, and they've thrown uh, an option for 2025. So uh, $8 million, probably a little more than you'd like for a part-time player. But um, I think as far as the Phillies go, the money uh, is almost insignificant now. Hmm. Matt, you mentioned – Johan Rojas, and Glenn and I were talking about him a little bit earlier in the show. Obviously, 
the Phillies would take a 302 batting average over a full season, which is what he hit in 164 at-bats during the regular season. Obviously, going getting four hits in every 43 at-bats and striking out 15 times is not what they want, which is what he did during the postseason. What in your mind offensively is kind of the baseline for Rojas where you say, okay, that's what they can live with to keep him in the lineup pretty much all the time? Hard to say, Mike. Like, I think it's a, it's like it's, it's an OPS, like in the somewhere you know around six sixty, six seventy, maybe even lower than that. I don't know. I mean, like his. I do think like we've been you know the Phillies have been talking about it. it's like well, everyone's like well you're running it back. Why is it going to be different in twenty four than it was in twenty three or twenty two? And um, there are there are nuances to it. I mean, the fact that they could have a full season of what I would think is probably the best center field, left field, defensive tandem in the sport, that that matters. I mean, you know, Kyle Schroeder had to play left field last year because Bryce Harper had to DH, and it created uh, a real hole defensively. And that mattered in, in terms of the runs they allowed, and they still only allowed um, the fourth fewest runs in the National League. I think that can be even better this year because the defense with Rojas and Marsh in the outfield could be – really good. It could be a huge strength for this team. So um, they need to get production from other spots in the lineup, and that would lessen you know, the need for Rojas to be an offensive performer. That's not to say he can't do anything. You know, it's not, He can't be a total zero at the plate. I, I think they obviously need some bare minimum of offense from their center fielder, no matter how good he is in the outfield. But you know, they expect to get offensive production from numerous spots in the field, and if they do, your center fielder, who is maybe the best defender in the sport, batting ninth, um, that's not the worst setup. And now by adding Merrifield, they do give themselves a little bit of insurance. Rojas doesn't have to play every single game. And let's be real, no one in the sport plays every single game anymore. So uh, I, I think it's an arrangement that they want to see play out for the first few months of the year. And if they have to reassess in July, I think they can reassess. All right, we're talking uh, to Matt Gelb, uh, covers the Phillies for the Athletic Film on Twitter at Matt Gelb, G-E-L-B. Mike and I were talking earlier about who we think is uh, poised to take a step up this season. My nominee is Christopher Sanchez. I thought he he really had that changeup uh, almost perfected last year. And I'm looking at him 150-plus innings as a starter, settle right in there in the number four spot and, and do well. Uh, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I'm just kind of your your assessment of him and the rest of the rotation after Wheeler and Nola. I agree with Sanchez. I mean, I, we it, you know they're making a pretty sizable bet on him here. He's the number five guy. Like he's coming to camp with that job, and you know he is the reason why they were comfortable not pursuing another mid rotation starter. And you know that's a lot to put on a guy who who you know hasn't had a full year in the majors of. of successful starting but what we saw you know from june the middle of june on um was i mean one of the better lefty starters in baseball and i know it sounds crazy to say that but like go go, go back and look at some of the numbers and he was there i mean it was it was a guy who was you know a totally different pitcher than he was earlier in his career i mean he was filling up the strike zone and, he, and the right line i mean that change up it was a pitch that he could use against lefties and righties uh, it became a really nice pitch for him and they had actual reasons to point to you know, developmentally and physically to say, this is why this guy is better now. It's not as if he just, like, lucked into it. I don't think he did. I think there's actual reasons. So, 
Um, they pushed him last year because he, he ended up throwing way more innings than he ever had in the season. And so, yeah, I think he could be primed, you know, to get to that 150-ish area this year. Uh, you know, one of the guys I think that, you know, people are probably sleeping on because he did not have a good year last year and um, he was disappointing. But, like, I think Sir Anthony Dominguez is a bounce-back candidate for me too. Um, this guy uh, was one of the best relievers uh, in baseball two years ago. He was so huge for them in the postseason. Um, you know, that obviously had a history of injuries, but when on the, when he is on the top of the game, he could be a really locked down late inning reliever. I think we're going to see a better version of Dominguez this year. He's somebody to watch, I think. Matt, my guy to kind of take a step forward, or at least a likely candidate to do that, uh, is somebody who took a big step forward last season already, and that's Bryson Stott. What do you view as the best case scenario for him in terms of the kind of hitter that he can become. Uh, I read something the other day about how the Phillies would like him to maybe get a little more aggressive early in counts, uh, not let good pitches go by, you know, the first time he sees them because you know he may not get another good pitch throughout that at bat. What do you see as kind of uh, the ceiling for Stott as a hitter? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, he had the most two strikes, two strike hits in the majors last year, but I think he would tell you that he didn't always have to be in a two strike count. Uh, he often uh, would let a pitch go that he could hit just because he, you know, didn't want to be too aggressive early. I think where he can take his game to the next level is just just drawing a few more walks. And if he does, like let's say he draws like 10 to 15, maybe 20 more walks and gets on on-base percentage, bumps it up even more, then you're looking at a top of the lineup kind of guy. You know, a guy who's batting leadoff on a championship caliber team who's playing plus defense. He was a gold glove finalist at second base last year. Um, that would make him a really, really valuable player uh, for this team, for any team. But uh, I, I think just getting on base a little more um, would make, you know, would take him to the next level and probably get him, you know, at the top of the lineup. And for now, I think Kyle Schwarber is still going to be up there uh, to start the season. I don't know that, you know, that's not set in stone. I mean, I think we've seen them kind of adjust where need be. Maybe they want to get a little more power low in the order and stop proves that he uh, can get on base at a higher rate and he's at the top. Hey, there was a beautiful moment at camp, uh, I think yesterday, when Charlie Manuel showed up. Can you tell us about that, Matt? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I came down here uh, in December uh, to spend a little time with, with Charlie and his wife, Missy. And uh, Great. By the way, that a was great a great piece. story. I'm sure people can still find it um, either on your feeds or by Googling it uh, on Athletic. Yeah, your piece with Charlie was just terrific. Thank you. And, and, you know, he, he uh, you know, he, as everyone, I mean, he suffered a stroke last September and, um, you know, physically he's, he's doing fine, but I mean, really where, where he had the biggest deficit was, was in his speech. And, you know, I mean, I think there were times as I wrote in the story uh, over the winter that, you know, he was really down. He was depressed. He could not uh, find the words, you know, to, that he wanted to say, or sometimes he didn't sound like he normally sounds. And, um, you know, that really affected him. And, and, you know, throughout the whole off season, though, his goal was, you know, to improve everything and to be ready to come to spring training. So it was great to see him uh, on the backfield and behind the cage, and um, you know, watching him talk to Pat, talk, talk baseball. Pat Gillick, who's also here uh, in camp, and um, you know, just watching uh, all, all the different people associated with the Phillies, people who um, you know may not even know who Charlie Manor really is, but you know, going up to him, saying hi, and. Uh, he got a standing ovation in the clubhouse from the players. Uh, Rob Thompson you know, introduced him uh, on his first day that he was here. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it's great. I mean, you know, Charlie Manuel, uh, you know, he's a baseball lifer. And, 
you know, he belongs here at spring training, and I think uh, everyone is really happy to see him here. And uh, just wouldn't be spring without him, you know, standing behind the cage. Matt, last one from me. We saw whether it was cause and effect or just correlation. Trey Turner's season turnaround last year after that standing ovation. What kind of performance from April through September do you expect to see from Turner? Are we going to see something between the guy he had been and then the guy he was in that second half of the season? Uh, do you feel like he's kind of got his bearings now in Philadelphia? Uh, you know, kind of just your perspective on the guy Turner can be in 24. I mean, you probably see something in between because those last two months, I mean, he was <laughs> I was like on a different level. I mean, I don't know if he's able to do that for six months. If he does, he might be the MVP. Um, so I think something in between. Um, but what I think you see is you know, early in the season, we, you know, when he was not getting on base, he wasn't able to use, you know, that athleticism, that speed that really defines his game. So if he can get on base, you know, just have an average clip for him early in the season, you know, we'll see him take more bags. And we'll see him be more aggressive on the bases. Um, you know, I do think his struggles at the plate definitely affected him on defense. Guys will always talk about how they try to separate, you know, their, their offense and their defense. But uh, when you're scuffling uh, on either one, it's hard to do that. These guys are humans. And I think we saw that with Trey Turner. And he led the majors in errors last year. There were plays that he did not make that he should have made. Um, I think he has a lot of ground to gain defensively from last year to this year. Uh, and I think just being more comfortable uh, with his surroundings can only help that. So, um, yeah, I mean, just a more balanced season from him, uh, I think would go a long way. Even if the numbers look similar at the end, uh, just having more balance to it would, would probably help this team out a lot. Matt Gelb, stay dry. You know, <laughs> just muddle through a couple of rainy days down there in Clearwater, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon before uh, you head back north. Yeah, I'm already ready for the games to start. I think everybody is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I, absolutely true, especially with the way the uh, – the Sixers have been faring lately. I think people are hungry for, for baseball and to, to see the Phillies back on the field. Matt, thanks so much, man. See you guys. All right, take it easy. That was Matt Gell from The Athletic. Um, interesting, Glenn. You know, he, he kind of acknowledged what everybody knows to be true, which is it's hard to draw any conclusions uh, based on the first week of spring training. Uh, and he's right. Like, in a way, the Phillies are less interesting because they didn't make any trades and make any big acquisitions in the offseason, but I almost find that more interesting, that what sort of step forward are they going to take by running it back? Running it back. Um, yeah, listen, they, there's no reason not to expect them that they won't book out. That's three neg, double negatives, excuse me. There's every reason to believe they're going to be one of the best teams in the National League, uh, probably not the best team in their division. But uh, I'm really excited for it. Part of I'm really excited before it is, you know, the football season ended so poorly. Bring mm-hmm. on baseball. But I, I, I love this time here. I love the anticipation of the baseball season. It, it is. And you mentioned the time of the year. Like, for me, I always tie it into spring training begins again. March Madness is coming up on the horizon, which I just love. Uh, and then you segue right from that to the beginning of the baseball season, the NBA and NHL playoffs. I think we've kind of convinced ourselves over the last few years that the NFL is the only thing that matters, and that's so not true. There's so much more to the 12 months of a year in sports, and uh, and this honestly is one of my favorite times of the year. Yeah, you know what we're not getting this this spring? We're not going to get any local teams making a run in the uh, NCAA tournament. No, right? we're not. Aside yeah. from maybe the you know St. Joe's women, uh, <laughs> we're not going to get uh, a deep run into uh, 
into March Madness. And that's a shame, but still can be fun. And it can still be fun to take your calls in the next segment. We're here until 1 o'clock. Dan, what's coming up next? Do we have Go Birds at Elliot and Go James? Birds, Elliot, and Devin Caney. Ah, okay. Are they oh, at nice. Parks today? They are. Okay. So we got Elliot and Devin coming up at 1 o'clock. Until then, we are happy to take your calls at 215-592-9494. With Glenn Mack now, I am Mike Sealski on 94 WIP. Recovered by Gabby Marshall. Here comes Clark. How will she go for history? There it is! The all-time leading scorer in women's college basketball. You know, Glenn, I know we don't discuss women's college basketball very much on this station. I get that. But the Caitlin Clark story and another story that came up within the last couple of days kind of got me thinking about something, and I wanted to get your perspective on it, if we could. So the first of those stories is what you just heard. Caitlin Clark from Iowa setting the national women's career scoring record and becoming, I think, and I think you'd agree, the most popular figure in college basketball right now, male or female. Is that safe to say? Correct. All right. So we have that. Then we have another story that came up during All-Star Weekend in the NBA, and I'm going to try to tie these together, Adam Silver was doing a demonstration of AI technology that is going to be available on the NBA app. If you watch NBA games on the league app, you will eventually have the ability to use what the league is calling and what Silver called movie mode to watch a game, where by pressing a button on your phone, the players on the court will suddenly turn on the screen into movie characters. So you could see, like, LeBron James as Spider-Man or something along those lines. And I think this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in the history of things. (laughs) (laughs) Because it says to me that the games themselves aren't enough, that we need gimmicks to be able to sell the competition of our professional sports league. Glenn, am I wrong in thinking that it's instructive that the most popular college basketball player right now is Caitlin Clark, who's been in school for four years and who is a terrific player and a compelling personality, and that the NBA has to resort to these gimmicks when it doesn't have compelling games and compelling competition and compelling personalities, all the things that apparently women's basketball has because more people are watching it. I, that seems a strange Okay, strange I, I, let me take this one step at a time. I'm going to take one step at a time because I want to talk about women's college basketball currently versus men's college basketball and then maybe uh, make your jump to the NBA. By the way, she broke the record. She's just 98 points shy of Pete Maravich's all-time record of 3,667 points. So she's going to break that, too. Yes, with the asterisk. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Very cool, but with the asterisk that Maravich only played three years and did not have the three-point shot. Oh, I know. No, listen, Maravich was, was the mo- one of the most amazing things I ever saw. I remember Maravich as, as, a, as a player in college, but whatever. It, it puts it in another context. Yes, it does. So I was reading, after you, after you um, talked about, you want to talk about this, I was reading up, and last year women's college basketball saw higher TV ratings than the NBA, 
Um, and that last year, the women's Final Four received the highest rating it ever had, and the men's Final Four received the lowest rating it ever had. Now, it's circumstances. It just wasn't a real compelling men's Final Four. And in the women's Final Four, you had Caitlin Clark versus Angel Reese, which is, you know, the their version of Bird versus Magic, right. I guess. Um, Sunday night's game between Iowa and Louisville, the, that game, had 2.5 million viewers higher than any game the NBA has had this year. Well, I guess I'm making a point, really. Um, So why is it? Uh, I think it is because – I'm going to just talk about men's college basketball. Mm -hmm. I'm a very casual follower of college basketball. I've always admitted that. I'm not a genius about it. I really don't watch much of it until the tournament unless one of the local teams is good. I can't tell you right now 15 players, men in college basketball – I can. I mean, I know UConn's on top, and there's a few surprises, but it's like there's – I don't know an interesting story this season in men's college basketball, whereas she's this dynamic, terrific figure, and you have a few others. And you explained it to me the other day, which is why are there no storylines? Why are there no players I'm interested in men's college basketball, Mike? Because the coaches are the stories. Yeah. The coaches are the celebrities. The coaches are the ones who stay. When people talk about UConn maybe defending uh, their national championship, they're not talking about Richard Hamilton or Ray Allen or any great player who was great at UConn for two or three years. They talk about the coach, Danny Hurley. Uh, It's Rick Pitino at St. John's making that program relevant again. Uh, And women's college basketball, it's about the players. It's about Caitlin Clark and the way she plays. It's about – Angel Reese and and the compelling athletes in the sport who are drawing women to that sport and drawing a lot of men to that sport, to be very honest. And I I think that's the difference here. And I I wonder if the NBA understands that in any regard. Like, do they know that turning LeBron James into Superman or Jason Bourne is not really the way to go to – retain uh, interest and viewership amongst fans? I don't know. Well, I don't know that I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily true. That I necessarily agree with you because the audience that they are seeking to attract is a young audience that was brought up on video games that is going to embrace AI, that this is going to be a huge part of their entire life. I mean, you know, my, my 11-year-old grandson only knows the NBA through what he has learned on video games. Mm. And so that's the reality of that world to him. So if you're selling to him, you know, he's a little kid. But if you're selling to people who are 5, 10 years older or selling to him down the road, maybe that's the direction you take. Now, I think women's college basketball right now is doing very well kind of because of circumstances. Mm-hmm. They have her, who's a dynamic player, as I said, uh, with Angel Reese. And so you, you had some just really good storylines. I don't know that it can sustain and remain popular and then five years from now, it's like, hey, women's uh, basketball NCAA tournament. Let's all flip on the TV. I don't know that that's going to work or not. I don't. It's not something that under normal circumstances I'm running to see, except for this good storyline. But I will say that men's college basketball, and we talked about this in terms of men's football, or of college football, it's all a mess now because of the transfer portal and the and NIL which are well-intentioned but have made it that there's no continuity at all. You don't know who's playing where for what. And, uh, you know, you mm-hmm. said coaches have to 
re-recruit all their players every year, and, you know, you have – not that I want to make Chip Kelly into, into something, but he left his job at UCLA to take, an, to take a coordinator job right. at Ohio State. The head coach at Boston College left to take a coordinator job in the NFL. The coaches realize that there's impending disaster in college sports, and I think that relates to that. Again, I know I'm getting off your NBA part, but I think men's college sports, unless they figure it out, is headed for disaster. Yeah, it, it does kind of look that way. Dave from Bordentown has some thoughts about the NBA. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, so so a couple of things here. I think the, the first point is on the, the NBA AI thing. Um, it really is for that younger demographic. Um, there was a lot of success this year with the NFL and what they did with Nickelodeon. Um, I know I have younger nieces and nephews who actually paid attention to NFL games this year because it was on Nickelodeon and they did a whole cartoon, you know, version of the NFL. So I think it's going to help with the younger demographic in the NBA. Um, going towards the college game, you know, Caitlin Clark and, and, and Angel Reese, they're huge names. Uh, if you look at the recruiting class from last year for men's basketball, there really wasn't anybody that really got you excited coming into you know college this year. Uh, the last the last point I'll make, um, and, and especially because you started going into college football, I, I almost feel like it's a positive uh, that some of these players are going to different programs because it's giving them uh, a view into different offenses or different defenses. Um, and, and giving them a little bit more knowledge going into the NFL. Uh, that, that's, that's what I got for you today. All right. Thanks, Dave. That's a, that's a good call. Yeah, I mean, that's great for those players. I just don't know, Glenn, that it makes the sport easier to follow, more accessible, more watchable. Uh, I, I think you're seeing that with college basketball. As you said, you know, the players aren't recognizable. Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese are recognizable. They've, right. been, they've been with their programs for a while. Saw them last year, right. Yeah, we saw them last year. You saw them the year before that if you were – paying attention and that's what not to lament the good old days but that's what college basketball used to have and it doesn't and you know the NBA's problem is almost a separate one in that they have to fi- figure out a way to make the regular season matter which leads hey, to the tried, obvious man yeah in-season <laughs> tournament I got a question for you do you remember who won that in-season tournament wasn't it the Lakers I don't know yeah I think it was, was the it? Lakers but Again, that had you, the, it, it was Le, LeBron won, and they raised a banner at Crypto.com Arena. It was a whole thing. Ugh, you could have told me any one of thirty teams, and I would have believed you. But that's they're trying to make the regular season mean more. Ultimately, I have no idea what that tournament meant. Yeah, I, I don't know what it meant either, except that it got the players interested for a little bit longer because they stood to make some money. Oh, great! Well, that's what I—that's the part that I root for the players to make more money. <laughs> Go ahead, Dan. You look like you had. You were going to weigh in. Oh, never mind. Um, yeah, and look, you know, the caller was right about trying to draw in those younger generations, and you have to use different measures, right? Kids are not, I get it, kids are not reading box scores in the newspaper in the morning like you did or I did uh, to get interested in sports. But at the same time, those same kids are going to grow up, and, you know, I don't have much interest in watching a Nickelodeon broadcast of a football game, and I don't know how many of them will continue to be interested uh, for that reason, even if their way in is, you know, watching Patrick Mahomes get slimed after he scores a touchdown on well, a quarterback sneak. Is the theory of that the same theory of behind having the fanatic at Phillies games? When I, when I took my kids to their first Phillies games, they were, you know, seven and four, whatever they were, right? Mm-hmm. 
and I'm trying to explain, like, okay, here's how we keep score here. And um, they're going to do a hit and run here. So watch that. And they're like, no. They thought the Fanatic was the greatest thing they ever saw. And he shot hot dogs out of a thing. <laughs> and one landed like three rows from us. And it was like an incredible thing. Uh, and uh, at least one of them now is pretty diehard baseball fan. Okay. So if the Nickelodeon thing is the is the entry, is the archway into it, the gateway, let's say. Oh. The gateway drug. The gateway into drug. becoming a baseball fan. <laughs> could I be. I don't know. Yeah, could be. Uh, maybe it is. And maybe that's what the NBA is thinking here. Yeah, I think so. I think some of it, too, is attention span. People don't want to watch a full game or less likely to watch a full game anymore unless they're betting on it or gambling in some way. Uh, I, like when you, I love when you're older than me. I know. I know. I'd, I, I'm 48, I and I feel like sometimes I'm 68. Here, and I'm trying to say, look, it's good. Kids will start following. Back the in my day, we didn't need to be slimed That's to watch right. this stuff. Yeah. I know. I know. It's, it, it, I do feel that way sometimes, though. I do feel like I'm, I'm older than I actually am. I don't know. Dan, what, do you, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I was going to say, as far as the NBA entry point, like Nickelodeon, thing, like I grew up watching Nickelodeons before they were doing NBA games. Uh, and if it is an entry point that seems to be working in another sport, like from the NBA's perspective, it's got to be worth a shot, right? Like what's what's the downside to trying this? It's not directed at people who are already established fans. It's younger fans who don't know any better. And if they're learning, like, you know, Glenn's grandson about the game mm-hmm. through video games and they can learn about it and watch games through this measure and they become more attached to the players, they're all for it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess I, I'm looking at it like, a compelling storyline to bring it back to, to Clark and Reese. A compelling storyline will override any of that, and the NBA just doesn't have very many right now. There's no bird magic rivalry. There's no teams trying to take Michael Jordan and the Bulls down, or Kobe and Shaq. It's just oh okay, like Nikola Jokic is the best player in the They're league. They're focused on the wrong things, in your opinion. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. You know, um, I think I think the NBA's gotten away from what makes people who are sports fans in Philadelphia so unique and so great is they've gotten away from promoting team rivalries. It's much more about individuals. It's become a player-driven rivalry. Right, as opposed to like Celtics-Lakers or Sixers-Celtics or something like that. And these players carry their rivalries wherever they go as opposed to the team they're playing for. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, Kevin Durant's a great player, but he's played on four different teams. Uh, It would be more people would be interested if he had been uh, a member of the Oklahoma City Thunder his entire career and they had gone head-to-head against the Warriors time after time after time again. How about the uh, story that Daryl Morey made a call, made calls inquiring both about Durant and LeBron? Yeah, you know, that's that happens in every league, I think, and Morey's a big swinger in that regard. You make the call, you see what's going to happen. Um, you know, I, I, I don't want to make more of it than I think it was, uh, but yeah, you know, you, you make a call. If you can get LeBron, you get LeBron. I mean, don't you don't you take a shot, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, anyway, um, we'll get to the brilliant musings of our producer Dan Wilson. You can play the cut, Dan. Yeah, I'm sure you have it. Well, I'm saving it for the segment. Okay, we'll yeah. save it for the segment. But it's it's my new favorite cut of the show uh, from Glenn uh, extolling the brilliance of our producer Dan yeah, Wilson. Great. Why did I do that? <laughs> And we still have a, some time uh, for your calls. We can squeeze in one or two at 215-592-9494. Glenn Macnow and Mike Sealski taking you to 1 o'clock when it's Go Birds Radio with Elliot Shore Parks and Devin Caney at Parks Casino. This is 94 WIP.
Wrapping up here with Glenn Mack now. I'm Mike Sealski on 94 WIP. Go Birds Radio coming up in about 15 minutes or so with Elliot Shore Parks and Devin Caney. Glenn, what do you have on your agenda the rest of the day? I am uh, going out uh, this afternoon. Uh, where am I going? <laughs> I'm taking my, my son to Costco. Really? Yes, because we have the Costco card, and Costco is we are we are part of the Costco religion. I don't know if you are. <laughs> we are not, but we have oh we God. have family members and friends who are, and yeah. it is it's 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 weird. It's a mega church. It I is. Think. It definitely is a mega church, and it's you go there, and everything is amazing. From do you know that Costco sells more hot dogs than anybody in the world? Is that right? Yeah, it's like I think it's a buck and a half, and they're really good. And so you go there, you get the hot dog, and then you buy. You get a roast chicken for five bucks that mm-hmm. you get like six meals out of, and anyway, I could carry on for a long time, but I won't. But I will tell you that I am I am part of that cult, uh, so that is part of the plan. And then I'm I'm taking uh, the grandsons out to dinner tonight. So oh, nice, yeah, nice. My son and his wife can go out, so my wife and I are going to take them out to dinner. That's and, lovely. Uh, That's yeah, lovely. Every, every time. time I hear somebody reference Costco, uh, I think of the Seinfeld episode. Where Kramer buys all the food in bulk and ends up feeding yeah. Beefarino to the horse. <laughs> oh, that's great. Rusty. Rusty. Rusty the horse. Yeah, yeah. it's a bad experience. It's very T- bad takes experience. the Rosses on the, t- the trip around yeah. New York. In and the handsome cab. That's absolutely right. In the handsome cab ride. Is, Rusty starts is... uh, ripping yeah. farts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's one of the classics. It uh, is. No, but uh, yeah. What do, you, what do you feed this animal? <laughs> one, one day we can talk about the, the whole Costco cult, but I will say that uh, while I was skeptical for a long time, once I got there, now I'm like, when are we going? When are we going? <laughs> it's like. Uh, you know, Hanukkah or Christmas time, I guess. <laughs> Something yeah. like that. Um, well, cool. You? Well, what do you got? I got, I'm going home and, and relaxing for a bit, and uh, Kate and the boys and I are going out to get Mexican food tonight and get dinner. Sweet. And probably stay in and watch a movie. We were kicking around what relatively old movie we could introduce a 12-year-old and a 9-year-old boy to. Oh, that's a great, that in and of itself is a great topic for us one week. Yeah, it will be. I think we have settled on one. Cool um, Hand Luke? Not Cool Hand <laughs> Luke. <laughs> Could we get Elliot to watch Cool? No, nah, there's no shot. There's no chance. No, he, he shot. won't do it. Yeah, what, what, was what, it made before 2005 or? It was yeah. made before 1980. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what is what's your? I think we have settled on Wayne's World. We think that oh, they will find great. that funny. Yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody. Come on. Yeah, and they love that song, so we are eager to have them uh, take in that scene and and laugh along with Dana Carvey and Mike Myers. Hi, I'm in Delaware. Delaware. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Dan Wilson, what's your day? I'm headed up to MetLife Stadium, Flyers oh, Devils right. tonight. That's yeah, right. yeah. good for you. Have yeah, I'm headed there after the show. Looking forward to it. Have think, fun yeah, in uh, among the smokestacks in the swamps. Oh yeah, it's it, nothing more beautiful than North Jersey. <laughs> he said with irony. So Dan, tell us what we forgot to talk about. Coming up, we look at the big brain of Dan Wilson. There it is. There you go. <laughs> Glenn's favorite. Uh, a couple of things uh, we didn't get to on the show, and I know it's uh, been tossed around all week. Uh, but once and for all, just wanted to get your guys' take. Number one, not that Philadelphia is new at all to discussion over players not knowing the overtime rule, but a number of the 49ers players did not know the overtime rule. Mike, you were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know which press conferences you I was were in. in with the Chiefs where they all knew the rule. Where they all knew the rule. Andy Reid was practicing Super Bowl overtime situations in training camp. Meanwhile, half the 49ers bench thought that a touchdown could have ended the game on the opening drive. Also, a lot of people who thought the game could have ended had the clock expired in the first overtime, the Chiefs would have been able to keep the ball into a second overtime. You get to finish out your possession. Yeah, I thought uh, I thought this was pretty widely known after that 
Bengals-Bills game a while back. Like, isn't everyone up to date on the rules at this point? Apparently not. Apparently, the host who was on before us did not know that rule about well, the that too, yes. <laughs> yeah, a, a caller called in and said, well, if the Chiefs, did, you know, they scored with three seconds left in overtime, like, they really cut it close there. And Howard's like, yeah, the game would have uh, ended. I was like, okay. no. No, they, it wouldn't No, have. they would have gotten more plays. The okay. possession gets to finish. So, regardless of who knew it here or not, it is criminal that um, members of the 49ers did not know it. I mean, we, we've yeah. teased Rand- uh, Randall Donovan McNabb for not knowing that games couldn't end in a – or would go – could end in a tie, excuse me. Regular that. season games. There's another caller yeah, this yeah, morning yeah. who thought of the Super Bowl can end in a tie, too. It was oh, a mess. Oh, that would be interesting. Oh they both God. get a parade? Yeah, they, bo- no. they, bo- yeah, they both get a Lombardi Hard trophy. Hard slices for everybody. They, they cut it in half. Yeah. Um, it is really telling that the Niners didn't know it, and it's uh, it, it's a bad look for their coach. Well, and on top of all of that, the strategy. Should Shanahan have taken the ball first or second? I don't no, know if you guys— No, he should not have. He absolutely should not have because when you get the ball second, you have more information at your disposal as to what you need to do and how you need to do it, and you have the advantage of knowing you can and should go for it on fourth down. You have four downs to work with. It's like what Nick Sirianni says about the tush push, where it's first and nine for us because that play is so successful, and it changes the way you approach play calling and all of that stuff. So I understand his logic in taking the ball first, but I disagree with it. I think you're correct. It's better. You, there's an adv- more of an advantage to having it second. And one, well, the bigger mistake was just playing for a field goal instead of a touchdown. Which yeah, all, go yeah, for it. Like, yeah. go for it. Like, if you're going to take the ball first, you got Patrick Mahomes on the other side, you're not getting the ball back. And the Chiefs said they would have gone for two. So that was the Super Bowl. Uh, Tiger Woods back in action this weekend, but he dropped out yet again in the second round. This is becoming a, a Tiger Woods move, by the way. It looks like he's not going to make the cut, and then he drops out to avoid, quote-unquote, missing the cut. I don't know if you guys are golf fans or where you stand on Tiger specifically, uh, but this seems to be pretty routine at this point. But he's got his new clothing line. He does, yeah. He, he's out. He's out of Nike. Yeah. There, there's still a part of me that is that laments how this all went. I really thought he was going to beat Jack Nicklaus's record of 18 majors, and he's never going to get there. And you know, the the memory of the player he was in, you know, the early 2000s. It's depressing to watch it now. Yeah, yeah. it's just um, it's a shame. Agree, and yeah, the, man, I agree. And then the last thing, uh, NBA All Star Weekend going on. I know we mentioned it briefly there. Uh, Tyrese Maxey will be in the skills contest tonight, uh, and he'll be playing in the All Star game tomorrow. And everyone's favorite coach, Doc Rivers, uh, behind the Eastern Conference bench. Three, Three and, seven. and seven with the Bucks, right? Yep, yep. And is already throwing players under the bus. Uh, too many guys in Cabo. <laughs> uh, you know the the fact that the emperor is naked is. He's being the, acknowledged more and more. He's right the now. best and the worst at the same time. Like, sarcastically the best, I'm saying. Let me make that clear. Like, he's he just makes every excuse possible. Just when you think he couldn't become the worst more, he does. Yeah. Yeah. What is uh, ahead, what is Maxie doing in the skills competition? Do we know? What is, uh, so, it's yeah, no, it's just it's the first event of the night. They play in the skills contest. It's him, Trey Young. What do they do? Uh, what is they, the skill? There's, there's a, what's the skill? No, they, there's a dribbling contest, a passing contest. There's like a they, dribbling contest? Well, you have to, like, dribble in and out of, like, cones kind of thing. And then you have to, like, pass it into a hoop, and then you have to hit a shot. I don't know if you've ever seen it before. But, yeah, it's like you have to dribble the length of the court, like, go in and, like, weave that. in and out of stuff, and then hit a jump shot, and they time you who can do it fast. It's like an obstacle course. You're burying the lead here, Dan. Mac McClung is back to defend his dunk, his dunk oh, contest yes. title. title. Is he really? Yeah. Not, but not with him. the Sixers anymore. The champ is here! 
<laughs> yeah, no, the, the skills contest, you'll see Tyrese Maxey doing like a basketball obstacle course tonight. Uh, you'll see Tyrese Maxey doing yeah. basketball. People who choose to watch, who tune right. in. Well, you won't. You'll be uh, watching a very, what you hope is very entertaining NHL game. I do, yes. I dropped out of skills competitions and all of that stuff a long time ago. So Yeah, same. I'm out. Same. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. Anyway, well, listen, Dan Wilson, thank you very much for doing what you do behind the glass. Uh, partner, I will see you next week. Yeah, Enjoy I'll be back time. tomorrow uh, morning with Jody Mack. Enjoy your time at Costco. I hope it is. Uh, oh, it's going to be great. What time's Mac- the cult meet today? <laughs> uh, well, we're going to meet around two, so you know it's going to be big time. Yeah, don't, don't buy any Kool Aid at Costco. Just saying. Um, thank you all for listening. Appreciate Matt Gelb checking in from Clearwater to talk about the Phils. Appreciate Kevin Kurz checking in from North Jersey talking about the Flyers, and appreciate all of you listening. He is Glenn Mack now. I am Mike Sealski. Thanks for listening to us on 94 WIP. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.